Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Getting Old with Garth. This week, I sit down with some friends of mine that I met on board the USS John Z. Stennis. Noah Wheeler is a primary nuclear electrician in charge of support systems dealing with reactor plant systems. He's an adventure advocate and a no-balls enthusiast, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy hearing a lot of his dirty deeds today on this episode. Isaiah Garcia is a nuclear trainer on board the USS John C. Stennis, who is a former United States ambassador for Z-Crew. Z-Crew is actually a car community that's dedicated to Nissan car enthusiasts, specifically the Z-Series. I had a fabulous time sitting down with some of my dear friends, and I hope that you enjoyed some of the fun and even some of the deeper conversations that we had today on such topics as the collapse of the Virginia car scene and what it feels like to have loss in your time inside of the military. This week... I'm getting old with Noah Wheeler and Isaiah Garcia. This is Getting Old with Garth with your host, Michael Garcia. Alright, well, here we fucking go, baby. Welcome to another episode. We have Garsh. What's up, brother? And Wheelie. It's your boy. The hottest wheels, baby. All right, so today we are going to talk about, you know, what it's like to get old in the military since that's what we do. True. And you guys both have the express, uh, you know, predisposition of being the exact same job that I'm in. So I feel like we're going to have a lot of common discussions that people may have heard in the past, but that's fine. Let's start with. Isaiah. All right. So, what? Why did you decide to join the military first? Because I know you're from good old Taterland. That's right. Utaho. Yeah, in the Utaho, Idaho. Potatoes. So, did you just want to like get the fuck out of your your hometown, or what? What happened there? Well, let me preface it with this. It all started when I was like six, playing Call of Duty. And I was like, I'm going to be the Army. Because uh, every kid playing uh, Call of Duty, World of War, Big Red One, stuff like that on PS2 back in the day, that was really cool to me. So it was pretty much my whole plan, like my whole life. Like all my grandpas and stuff, and my dad was in the military. So What did he do? Uh, great-grandfather, World War II, grandfather, Korean War, my dad, Iraq. So I was like... Worked for them. Uh, but I was like, I don't think I want to get shot at. Yeah. By bullets, at least, you know. Now, was your dad in, like, Desert Storm, or was he in, like, the, the post-9-11 He was Desert in War. post-9-11. He got deployed twice, but on his uh, second deployment, he was driving down the road in a convoy. And because uh, he wanted to fly helicopters. I wanted to fly stuff, too. But he's blind as a bat. He's got Coke bottles, so... <laughs> he became a field truck driver and a maintenance person on helicopters. Uh, so, yeah, they're driving down the road. And then he, he doesn't like to talk about it. But basically what happened was a guy popped up with an. They got shot at. So they hopped out of their trucks, just started shooting into the desert. And then he sees a guy pop up with a uh, RPG and they launched it at his truck, which is full of aircraft fuel. So he just starts booking it. And then when it blew up. He was, like, thrown through the air, got a back surgery or, like, a back injury, 
which he needed surgery for, and then they brought him back to the States for, like, the rest of his 20. So he was in for, like, 16 years, and then four years at a desk job. Damn, son. Yeah. Mm. So military, pretty much been, like, my fallback my whole life. Didn't really figure out what I wanted to do. For a while, I wanted to be an architect, and uh, I was doing CAD classes and whatnot, but I got bored with it. And then the, uh, the old recruiter, <clears throat> pre-Navy, sitting at home, waking and baking with my mom. Hell yeah. And uh, <laughs> I had just gone to the Marine recruiter the day before, and he was like, just enlist. Just enlist. Just do it. Sign this paper. And uh, I was like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable, brother. So the next day, I'm waking and baking with my mom, and the Navy commercial comes on. So then I called the recruiter. He's like, I got three questions. Do you have a criminal pass? I was like, nope. He's like, uh, are you in school? Are you 18? I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 18 this summer. I'm still in school. He's like, are you on drugs? I was like, absolutely not. And then I went to the That's recruit. right. Good. <laughs> I went to the recruit station that day. And uh, he's like, are you on drugs? I was like, yeah. He's like, just stop smoking weed. I was like, all right, cool. Got it. That's the and one. then I was originally going to be an AO. And I went to MEPS. And uh, I signed my AO contract for five years. And then the, the Navy uh, nuke guy coordinator for the Seattle district called me. And he's like, hey, brother, what do you know about nukes? I was like, doesn't sound interesting at all. He's like, uh, well, it's really cool. I said, okay, <laughs> sure, whatever. So he wasn't like, you know that thing that you get in the Call of Duty <laughs> when you have so many kills in your kill streak? That's going to be you. You could do that as a job. So I'd found the video on YouTube, some MMN2s talking in it. And she's like... The Navy's so cool. I uh, I work nine to five. I, I still get to go in the mall. It's really cool. It's like <laughs> got em. your nuclear back I engineer. I love those like <laughs> versions too, where they're like, "Oh yeah, uh, you're gonna work a desk job, and uh, you're gonna get to go and and see the world at your desk." Yeah, wise. <laughs> so wise. so I was like, that doesn't sound too bad. And I, I remembered that at the MEP station, so I peeked my head back in the detailing room. I was like, hey can I be a nuke? And they like took my contract, ripped it up and said, come back. So I went back a second time. I didn't have to show my butthole under the duck squat and all that. In that place. <laughs> no, uh, I took the napty, which was, is that the second test or yeah, whatever? Cause yeah. I got a 78. So I'm like a dumb nuke Damn. compared to like everybody else. <clears throat> I, I feel just, that. I didn't try very hard. It wasn't super difficult in high school. I just smoked a lot of weed and did my homework. So I took the nap tea, which I, I was like, I failed it. But they came back. They're like, hey, you got a 55. And I was like, cool. What's like, that? what does that mean? They're like, well, the minimum's 55. And I was like, wow, what are the odds of that? That's cool. <laughs> Come to find out, talking to old Danny Rummel boy. He's like, did you take it in pencil? And I said, yeah. He's like, yeah, you, you failed. But they just pushed you through. Well, um, I mean. Too dumb to be a nuke, but still somehow made it all the way through. So that's always nice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so does it feel weird to you that, like, basically you were a part of the same war that your dad was a part of? Especially because he was in the post-9-11 war, right? We're still technically in <clears throat> that war. Like, that's not really changed yet. Now, I know, without being too political, right, the Joe Biden thing's going on where he's like, yeah, we're going to pull all the troops out on 9-11 21, you know, a 20 year fucking war that we've been fighting in the Middle East for, you know, whatever reason. Um, there's a lot of speculation as to why that is. But we've like, you're in a distinct like group of people who they're one of their parents 
started that war, like we're in the beginning of that war, and you are still in that war now, in the military, fight, have been a part of that war, right? Because I know <laughs> we were in, you know, one of the operations when we were all on deployment together, where we were still dropping bombs in the Middle East, doing all the Middle East stuff. Like, we, we were all a part of that. But uh, does that, like... How does that like mesh with you or have you even like thought about how you're in the same, you've been a part of the same war that your dad was a part of 20 years prior? So it's actually funny because after I signed my enlistment, the the Syrian war or whatever, civil war, basically Syria was getting dicked on by everybody. Yeah. And uh, I was 18 at the time, huge pothead, huge hippie, recycle, save the earth, you know, Screw the 1%. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I think it was because my mom growing up was super liberal that I just kind of saw that. Uh, but, and then like all, like Facebook at the time, that's when all the immigrants were trying to get out of Syria because it was getting bombed by us, Russia, Syria itself. And everyone was trying to leave. And I was like, what is going, I asked my mom, I was like, what is wrong with everything? What's going on? She's like, oh, it's just, it's really complicated. And then that's when I got into like, researching the war because I thought it ended in 2008 when Barack was like, we're pulling out the troops, homie. And he pulled out like <clears> five <throat> troops. Right. So <laughs> I thought it ended, which change. it didn't. So I look into it and it's just, I think that whole subject is like a different entire podcast on itself because there's so much stuff to get into it. But basically like what happened, cause ISIS just started coming up around then. And what I determined through all this research that I did was, that we wanted to end the war, pull out what well, we did, left a power vacuum, and then someone's going to take that spot. Because we, we went in, we bombed everything. We, di- we dismantled, like, the police stations, the fire departments, and we just ruled everything over there for, for like, years. Yeah, and then much. we're, like, pulled troops out. We're done. We're done with this. It's too expensive. People are dying. And then somebody stepped up, and that person was ISIS. And then Syria happened, and uh, it is crazy to think about it. <clears throat> And I don't even know why it's still going on at this point. I don't even think most of people still like know that we're still at war because it's not like broadcast every day on the news like it was when we were kids. Well, yeah, because you had four years of Donald Trump and, you know, all of the all the racist right things that he yeah. said and, and things like that where, you know, some people loved it, some people hated it. And even though the people weren't really rallying behind like the racial tone of it. Right. A lot of times it was perceived as that. So CNN, Fox News, all the big, you know, news stations were broadcasting what they wanted. And then out in the background, you still had thousands and thousands of troops in the Middle East dealing with, you know, uh, the fact that some of these kids who are joining, you know, much like yourself at like 18 years old, they're like 17. Yeah. They're fighting their dad's war. But. So you joined the Navy at 17. Did you turn, you, so you had to have turned 18 in what, in boot camp? So I enlisted at MEPS. Like, I am a United States sailor uh, at 17. However, my depth date was like nine months out. So from the time I graduated Good high God. school, <laughs> from the time I graduated high school, I was just doing a lot of physical labor. I worked at like a, a weed-killing pesticide spraying company for a while. And I switched to doing some framing. Like I built a house with my dad and then I worked some side construction jobs. And then I switched to landscaping and, and yard work. And then three months before I was like, I'm chilling. 
I got money saved up. I'm I'm gonna enjoy my last bits of freedom as an 18 year old because I turned 18 that summer. Uh, before I go to the great mistakes here in January, and then that day rolled around and I was like, I'm here. So you rolled up in January <laughs> of was that 2018? 16. 16. Yeah. Nice. And so you got to see the the cold, but now does it snow a bunch in Idaho as well? Dude. Dude. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, going to Great Lakes was like no problem for me. And then you got kids from all around the country and like, like most of the kids are like, it's freezing here. And I was like, it's honestly not that bad for this time of year. I mean, I know it gets like, a lot colder here. Like normally it's negatives at this time. So I think that we're pretty good right now. Like I was... Like, me and Wheelie Boy, we're tall, so I was a road guard, and they got you strapped up in all this gear, which mm. in Idaho, it snows a lot. You know, I took the girlfriend there recently, a couple of weeks ago, for a, a wedding, and she was like, oh, wow, it's really pretty here. I was like, yeah, this is the summer, so I want to visit in the summer, because it rain, it snows, like, feet upon feet upon feet upon feet. It's it's like that, I showed her the ski resort, and I was like, it gets, like, the snowpack up there gets, like, 20, 30 feet. Like 30 on a good Jesus year. Jesus Christ. So, like, down in the towns, they, they plow it, but still, like, it'll, it'll you'll get, like, five feet in your yard. So, going to Great Lakes, I was wrapped up like a like a pig in a blanket, sweating my ass off. Cause, and then they'd be, like, road guards to the doors, and I got to run through the compartments <laughs> downstairs and hold this door open. And yep. I was lucky enough to get an outside door and get a breeze because I, I was sweating my ass off the whole time. That's, that's, but yeah. sweating your ass off in January in the snow. It's yeah. Weird. But which is pit- wild. Cause I mean, for me, I'm from Florida, which a lot of people that have heard, you know, previous podcasts know that uh, I'm from where it's hot and sticky all the time. And so when I went, it was dry, it was cold. I was just bleeding out of my face, that's like constantly, dude, I hated it. Oh my God. Cause there was no humidity. There was just snow and frigid cold where it's like bone shattering cold. And I just was not about that. There's a difference. Cause being in a, like a, a dry climate like that, it's a dry heat, a dry cold vice the coast here, like in South Carolina, it was, I forget. I was standing some watch, uh, like by the, the galley in South Carolina and you had to stand there. And it was like 40 degrees, but it was wet. And I was freezing. I was like, this is the coldest I've ever been. And then a couple weeks later, I went on leave for Christmas. And I landed, and it was five degrees out. And I just went, and my snot froze. And I was like, this isn't bad. And I walked off the plane in a t-shirt and shorts and straight to the car. terrible. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's <not> terrible. <laughs> 40 degrees when it's wet and cold, significantly more worse than five degrees dry cold. I mean, I guess I personally, like if I ever had to move back to a Northern state, it would be so too soon because that was like the hardest thing for me was the fact that we were running, like even in like the little gymnasium or whatever that you had to like do your, your like PRTs and stuff in and like run your mile and a half. By the time I finished that, it was so dry that like my chest felt like I was inhaling sandpaper with every breath. And I hated that. I think everybody who's ran in that that PT hall can agree though, because I think they had dehumidifiers or something because it was extremely dry in that. I had a hard time running in there just because I was like, like there's nothing. But you land in South Carolina and there's just water in your breath. Thick hair. Thick. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Dude, I was I had never been so happy to be in South Carolina. That was a shell like, shock. Like even the first like five K, because like did you get did either of you guys do yeah. the five Ks? So yep. I know I had, oh yeah all the time. I had joined probably a year prior to to you there, Garsh. But I know that when we started doing the five Ks, I would have rather run a thousand five Ks before running another mile and a half in Chicago because <laughs> it was just so fucking cold. I remember one five K. Uh, it was like 5.30 in the morning. I get up. I get ready. Get my PT gear on. Uh, sorry. And yeah. uh, I open the door, and it just, the air splashes <laughs> onto me. <laughs> it was so heavy. I was like, <gasps> I was like, dude, it is so hot. It was like 95 degrees and at 5.30 in the morning, like 110% of humidity. And I was like, there's no way we're running this thing today. So then I go up to the muster, and everybody starts doing the Navy warm-ups. You push your arms out. You do your jumping jacks. You do your push-ups. And I was like, no way. They're going to dismiss us. They're like, all right, let's do it. And everybody <laughs> that day was miserable. Yeah. And I get back to, like, the cool down, and everybody is just – it's like they stood in a shower and then walked out. They were just drenched. Dude. And then as soon as Wet. it was over, the black flag went up. No outside PT. I was like, you Fucking asshole. Of course. Yeah, of course. They had to wait until everybody started running. And then they were like, all right, somebody start getting that black flag ready, baby. It was <laughs> dude, I I loved some of the uh the like politics of can we run outside or not? Because it seemed like we so when I was going through, we canceled so many of those. It was insane. Right. So the year before you showed up to the nuke school, we had already had like all these chiefs and stuff, and it was like the first year that you could you know, fat your way out, right? You could fail enough, like, fitness things that they were like, all right, you're obviously a liability, which it makes a lot of sense because if you follow, like, the reenlistment charts and things like that, um, a lot of times they give money to the nuclear community as much as possible because no one wants to stay in it because, you know, it's a lot more work, it seems like, than what you're going to see in, in a lot of other rates. But we hit it we did not get like anything compared to what it is now. Right. And they used to be like, Oh yeah, you can just fat out. Right. And there was so many people that were starting to eat their way to like 40 extra pounds and then they were failing everything. And then they got kicked out. Like so many people I knew in prototype had started getting kicked out. So they took it so serious, but then we started like canceling the five K's cause that, that was like the big test that they wanted to make sure you could at least run because I'm guessing, uh, you know, if anyone else is much like myself, uh, we're fat and we're not good at running because short, fat, weak bones. Like, I, I got all the predispositions of a person that is not good at running, but I still do my best, you know. And I haven't failed one yet, so that's good. <laughs> but I'm really worried about the next one because I have not ran in so long. I'm a fat, vaping, X370Z owning bitch. <laughs> don't worry. I drink a lot of beer. I don't do a lot of physical activity, but that's going to change this week. And it's on podcast now, so I have to do it. Well, don't worry. You still have a few more weeks before this episode is going to get aired. But even still, uh, I will tell you, we're going to get into the car thing because I really do want to talk a lot more about your car obsession because I feel like that has been like a defining moment of what you've been known by a lot on the boat oh, yeah. for at least for a long time. But let's shift gears. <laughs> Old Hot Wheels, Noah it's Wheelie boy. boy, what is going on? So tell me about yourself. I want to know, 
So you are a down-home country boy from the ye old South Carolina. Yeah. Much like myself, we come from, you know, the the southern region of the world, the southeast, the oh, greatest yeah. football conference on the planet. That's right. So when did you join? So what age were you? I want to know. I want to know it all. Well, I was 18, and I was still in high school. Uh I was going to be going to College of Charleston. I toured College of Charleston. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a great place. I'm going to go here. And then they're like, all right, here's all, you know, here's all your things that you're going to have to pay for. And I was like, ooh, that's, that's starting to get, get a lot right there. And uh, I asked my parents, I was like, how much are you going to pay for? And they're like, none. I was like, very good. Looks like I'm going to join the military. <laughs> And so, uh, my, uh, youngest stepbrother, he's a mechanic nuke. So I, I know, if, uh, like what I was going to be getting in, into it, that I was going to do the nuke way. And so, um, I go to the recruiting office and I'm like, Hey, I, I noticed you had a thing called AG. It's areographer's mate. I was like, yeah, I won't, I won't do that. That's, um, what some, is that job? So it's like a weatherman. It's a glorified weatherman. What they do all day, they look at the weather channel and say, yeah, there it is. That's going to be raining today. It's going to rain. It's It's going to rain, rain, baby. And uh, I was like, yeah, that's kind of close to the oceanography because that's what I'm interested in. Let me do that. And and I was like, hey, I want to do this. So like very small community, probably won't get it. But hey, you scored really high on your ASVAB because I took it and like preparation for at some point joining the military, just kind of, you know, get understanding what I was getting into. And, um, they're like, yes, you did very well. And I was like, I know. Thank you. And, uh, they're like, well, we got this, this nuke thing. I said, nope, you can go ahead and stop right there. Put, put, put the brakes on right now. And they're like, but, but why you get all these good things? And I said, no, I, I already know somebody that's done this and they hate their life. I don't want to do that. And they're like, okay, well you can go to MEPS and, uh, you know, see what we can do for you. And I said, yes, let's do that. So I get there, I go through all the things like, all right, time to pick your job. And, um, I, uh, you know, go in there and they're like, well, all we have is like sonar tech and there was something else. And I was like, bullshit. <laughs> Let me look at the computer. So I like, I reached for the computer and looked at it cause I didn't believe them. And, uh, <laughs> sure enough, there's like only showing up like sonar tech and then like some other very low level stuff. And, uh, I was like, Hmm. They're like, well, we got this nuke thing. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do this. And they're like, well, you can do sonar tech. I was like, uh. so I call my 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 brother up. I'm like, hey, this is what they're offering me. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, it's you know, you you ought to go for it. So that's what I ended up doing. I uh, obviously here I am, but was not my first choice at all. Well, and I don't think that it was a lot of people's first choice. That's the that's the thing that I've come to find is you you see that there's so many people that are in it that if they were even like thinking about joining the Navy, most of the times it was like, oh, well, I was going to go be like a CT or like, you know, for yourself, you're like, I wanted to be a weatherman and stuff. Or for myself, I was like, I'm going to be a cop, dude. I want to I want to hold a gun, ride around in a car, do some drug busts on the base and cool stuff like that, which coming to find out exactly how that job was, I'm really glad <laughs> with what I got. Not that I enjoy the job a whole hell of a lot, but mm. 
the difference being that I feel like there's at least a lot more like dignity in what I do versus what I've seen so many other like MAs and like the, the military police have had to deal with where most of them, they just stand at a gate and go, uh, me, I take your badge, sure. Me, I take your badge, sure. And they're just, <laughs> they're like the guards. And all they do is just scan badges for like five hours a day, six, seven, eight hours a day, every day for four years. Like I, And as soon as one thing goes different in that, that process, they're like, does not compute. What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> he's got a, he's not giving, he's not giving me the regular card. Yeah, he's giving me his driver's license. What am I supposed to yeah, do with God that? God forbid you lose your fucking military ID. Yeah. <laughs> that was fucking He's giving awful. me this piece of paper. What is this? You got your driver's license on you? No, the paper that you're supposed to read says I lost my wallet, so I have no ID. Yeah, how fun was that? Did you fix that since? <laughs> yeah. Do you have a driver's license? Dude, round one, when, it got, when I moved into this house and it got stolen out of my car because I was very, very intoxicated and forgot to lock it. If they had just thrown my military ID out of the wallet, taken the wallet, wouldn't have been mad. But it is such an inconvenience. And uh, thankfully, the second time I lost my wallet on the ship, uh, it was <clears throat> very streamlined, which ended up getting found. Uh, Did it get found after you've already done all the paperwork? So though? I was routing the paperwork, but legal was like, he needs uh, EMI or something like that. And the, off him. Yeah, the office was like, oh, we're just going to type up a quick EMI. It's not in the... I was like, oh, no, it's fine. I was like, I expected this. It's military. Uh, fool me once, shame on me. Fool you twice, shame on you kind of thing. But um, A fool me can't get fooled again. That's right, George <laughs> W. Uh, <laughs> it, but the second time was much more streamlined because I already knew what I had to do. And then the day, like 10 minutes, like... A minute or two prior, I get a call from Mr. Stewart, and he's like, hey, <laughs> senior's going to hand route your shit because legal's holding it up because they're a bunch of cucks. And I was like, okay. And then I get a call from uh, EOS, so like, hey, they found your wallet on top of Squiggles. I said, I knew what? I, I, yeah, I knew I lost it in the plant because I, I had to squeeze this fat <laughs> dumpy into a medium-sized 40 cal. How? Yeah, it is a pretty big dumper. In so, the hell do you literally get, this was like, what, two, three weeks? So load center 4-1, takedown, right? I'm still the AWICS, still hating life, still angry all the time. Yeah. Uh, Bitch-ass Bailey, I hope you're listening, um, <laughs> didn't want to do IVVs because, you know, he's too good for that, being a fucking bitch-ass nub. So I said, fuck it, I'll, I'll squeeze into these 40 cals. Mr. Stewart was going to watch us. So I'm squeezing into the 40 cals next to 4-1, uh, between 4-1 or 4-1 Charlie. And there's that hole in the deck where there's a valve popping up for main steam. Mm -hmm. And I think when I pulled it over my big old dumper, Goodness it just gracious. squeezed my wallet out of my pocket. Because afterwards, Shamora's like, hey, go put it off an MRC. I was like, yeah, I don't have my wallet. And then I look at the hole next to me and I was like, there's no fucking way. And then I spent all day looking for it. It was day after duty. I was trying to get the fuck out of there. And uh, <clears throat> yep, a couple weeks later, Shamora's standing at SRO. I was like, does somebody have my wallet in here? And he's like, here you go, homeboy. I was like, where was he? He's like, on top of Squiggles. Now, Squiggles, that's like up. That's yeah, above. it's a giant cabinet that's up in the overheads. So, and it, it, I was like, for weeks, I was like, somebody's going to have to find it. Like, we have to MCH. I guess they're not doing a good enough job. I had like a chief mentality. I was like, you better you better clean every inch of that RER. Clean it better. So, <laughs> Get him. But it was found, and I was like, cool. And then I was like, hey, senior cliche, my boy, my angry meat-faced boy. I got my wallet. Thanks. He's like, yeah. No worries, dude. Cool. <laughs> God, I love that dude. <laughs> that shit is... 
That has got to be the weirdest. Uh, I lost my ID. Well, second weirdest. <laughs> it, it is the second weirdest. I lost my ID story. Ever. Not his first time. It's the first <laughs> Nate. Yeah, the first yeah. had to be Nate. So <laughs> I heard that one. <laughs> Nate had his identity stolen by a fucking bear <laughs> in the mountains. It's remarkable sake. that y'all found it, dude. And it was like a year later, mind you. Yeah, that it was even found. That was the craziest part of it. It's. Like, at this point, he's already got a whole new, like, wallet, a whole new ID, whole new, like, driver's license. He has, he's a whole new person, right? He had to change his name. He had to move out of state. He was on the hunt forever. Um, and then, like, the bear opened up at least, like, three credit cards in his name, which kind of bullshit, but whatever. It's cool. He did find it, though. Three, like, or about a year later, uh, he had gone back a couple times and couldn't ever find it and then went back. And I remember the day I was sitting in my couch and he was like, Hey man, you'll never guess what I found today. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like you're, you're in the mountains and stuff. He's like, yeah, I, uh, I found my backpack. And I was like, dude, what? No He's like, yeah, the backpack I lost last year, I found that shit. What? And I was like, Oh my God, dude, that's insane. He's like, yeah, it still has all my like stuff and everything in it. Now, mind you, this man's had like over $2,000 worth of stuff in his backpack. All right. Jeepers. Had like, had a legit like Gucci wallet, had like this like 24 karat gold or like 20 karat gold like money clip, something what? like very expensive, mind you. Why are you walking around with that? Well, I mean, it it was a, a gift. Flex. Okay. It, was a, it was a gift. All right. I think he bought the Gucci wallet, but the money clip I think was a gift to him. He also had all the coins that he had gotten from like deployment. So when we went to like Dubai and stuff and got the gold markets and stuff, he bought a bunch of like gold coins and like silver and stuff like that. So he had like all of this stuff and it was just fucking insane. Right. And so he was like so upset, not just because like he had to go through the, I don't have an ID to get an ID to do the ID things and all that. Like, and you, you've seen it, right? Cause if you lose your wallet, the the worst part of it is not even like, oh, I have to get a military ID. Like, that's the first part because you basically need to get a military ID to get your driver's license, to get your social security card, to get, like, any of your credit cards back because all you can really do is be like, yeah, cancel everything except for maybe my Navy Federal card and I can get the basic debit card back. And so he had to do all of this stuff just to get, back to like being himself it was just absolutely insane i don't think people realize like when you lose your wallet like your wallet's your life it, it, yeah, especially now yeah and when i lost mine that that's actually how me and uh, samantha met because i was having a party that night that's what i was because i moved in this house having to get together and that's why i was so inebriated that night but um yeah, I actually had to have her buy me nicotine and alcohol because I'm a I dependent. Need it. Yeah. I need it. I need it. Uh, <laughs> you I became the dependent. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so that's how me and her got chit chatting. But it, thankfully, Idaho, I was like, I called up the DMV. I was like, I lost my wallet. They're like, hey, there's a form. You just have to email us, pay us 25 bucks, get a new one. That was easy. However, military ID, that is so much more complicated than it needs to be because you got to route a piece of paper up to the CMC, XOCO, and it's like, I lost my ID or like it was stolen or whatever. And they were like, give me a good story as to why. Yeah. And I had to Please file like a police report, but then this was like the beginning of COVID and I put in the police report like, Hey, I was having a barbecue, blah, blah, blah. I don't think this is going to go anywhere. 
and they're like, all right, did you file the police report? And I said, yeah. They're like, we need a copy of it. I was like, oh, okay. And I, I like, I filed everything. I, I routed it. And I was like, shit. I said I was having a barbecue on that. Now, there wasn't more than 10 people there, but it was like the beginning of COVID. They're massing people left and right for going more than 350, not like going to the grocery store and shit like that. And I was like, oh, no. And then Niles and Chief came to me and like, what the hell does that mean? And I said, well, I was barbecuing. I was having a barbecue. Like, so there weren't people there. I was like, no, I was just barbecuing. You know, like just chicken, by myself, you chicken, know. corn with <laughs> the household, me, me, her, Carl, you know, nothing more than that. It was, was literally it. like we were cooking in the backyard yeah. with the people who live in our house. Keywords, tricky phrases. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, <laughs> but they were like, oh, you had this huge party. Like, how yeah. fucking dare you? Why yep. would you do that? So that was fun. But uh, yeah, I got my ID back. And there it goes. Speaking of Dubai, uh, because you you were telling saying so speaking average, of Dubai, uh, right. yeah, speaking of Dubai, you were saying that average had a gold chain, chain chain gang. <laughs> so I remember I walked into the gold souk, and there was these dudes like it was like it was like an empty like an alleyway, and then as soon as like the American white people stepped foot, they crawled out of the cracks like roaches. <laughs> They're like, "Come here, my friend, my friend," and I was like, "Get the fuck off me!" One guy says, "Oh." Uh, I was with Julian. One guy was like, hola, hola. Julian, like, I'm not fucking Mexican. <laughs> and uh, me and Julian were there. And I was like, let me check out a gold chain. Why the hell not? You know, let me get some bling. I walk in. I found a chain that looked like two chains. It's like thick gold two chain links. Chain. And I was like, hey, man, how much is that? He's like, 3000 And I was like, why don't you put that Good back before I scratch night. it? Me and Julian go into the gold souk, you know, the big premier gold shop there. And the guy's like, what you looking for? He's like, I'm looking for a watch for my dad. He's like, oh, I got one right here. And it's like a gold Casio. And Julian's like, how much is this? The guy goes, 22500 He's like, I'm not feeling it. He's like, oh, how much do you need? He's like, like 20 bucks. And the guy's oh like, get God. the fuck out. <laughs> He's like, get the fuck out of here. This is gold. So, Do you not realize that you're fucking with yeah. gold right Dude, now? Dubai? Brother? The most fun I had was just being in the sand pit and just getting pissed drunk with everybody. Because, like, going out, we were poor in Dubai. Dubai, they were big balling. We were the poor boys. Well, and that was also, like, so Dubai, that was Christmas in Dubai, right? Because we did we did Thanksgiving in Singapore and then Christmas in Dubai. So you're talking, we've been, maybe people have, like, three paychecks or something if they yeah. didn't blow every single dollar they had in Singapore, which, which was also. A lot of people did. Yeah, and Singapore wasn't, like, super expensive, but the things that people wanted to do were very expensive. I don't know, like, stay in penthouse suites. And, and the Marina Bay Sands Hotel. Dude, that shit was fucking I, I, I did not get that luxury. I did fall in love, though, with a Singapore woman, which I was with Julian again, and uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, so I wasn't trying to do nothing, but <sighs> mercy me. I would have cheated. I would have, but I didn't. I had the strength. Yeah, good, good, good on you. Good job. I mean, I had a child and a wife for all of deployment, so I yeah. was a I was a very good boy. That's 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 a better reason than a big titty nineteen year old. So, yeah, that's I mean, <laughs> <it was> fine. <laughs> but at one point, we're drinking at this rooftop hotel, and I was like, "Oh, y'all aren't gonna drink?" And she's like, "No, we don't we don't drink in Singapore." I was like, "Oh," and then I felt kind of bad. And as soon as I was like, "Oh," I like was said, "Okay," and I I threw my hands apart and I took the wine glass off the table and spilt it all over the floor, and I was like, "Oh my god." And they're like, oh, it's fine. Some guy came over and cleaned it up. And then we're chit-chatting. I'm flirting a little bit because I was a 20-year-old promiscuous hooligan. Yeah. And uh, uh, they're like, how big are you? And they started gesturing with your hands. And me and Julian just looked at each other like, what the what hell? What the fuck is, what going, the fuck is going on right <laughs> now? 
and, <laughs> and we just pulled out the old fucking you know, like pinky you know, like six inches bro and they're like <laughs> no seriously like how big just tell us and we're like what she's like i'm gonna go smoke i was like fuck it i'm drunk i'm gonna go smoke too yeah they were uh they were trying to see what's what's packing dude, asian women love white dudes yeah do it really i i did not realize that, that i knew that the, it went the other way i knew that i know there's a bunch of dudes on the boat who were like jeremy water all about <laughs> the asian community and like asian women personally like nothing against them uh but that's just never been my flavor you know i'm not well i mean i'm not <laughs> usually typically like drawn to asian women but i was with jeremy the first night and we were spending all day oh i got a great story so me and Jeremy were hitting up uh, the Lion Island. I don't know what it was called. It just had three islands. And we're like, there's one bar at the end of this beach that's popping. He's like, it's got five-star reviews. It's great. It's like, okay. So we go to the beach. You know, he takes his shirt off, flexes, looks good in front of the Asian girls that he likes, d- dives in the water. And then we're walking, walking, walking. And then it ends. And it's like just forest. And I was like, well, there's a path through the woods. And he's like, I don't know, man. I was like, all right, let's just take the path. So we're like walking down this path forever. He's like, dude, I, where is this going? I was like, I have Google Maps pulled up, bro. Like, it's there's <laughs> the beach is like a quarter right mile there. that way. Let's just walk through the spooky woods. It'll be fine. Yeah, it's not it's, the suicide woods for fuck's yeah, sake. I mean, it was literally a scene at a Scooby-Doo spooky island where you walk out onto a beach and there's just people partying. And I was like, see, I told you. And then we went, we sat down, we ordered drinks, which in Thailand or in Singapore, they're like, not big on alcohol, so we blew hundreds of dollars on drinks because mm. they upcharge it, and we didn't even get drunk. And I was like, "This sucks." And then that night, he's like, "Oh, dude, I'm meeting up with this girl on Tinder." And I was like, "Dude, I'm not there to sit in a room while I hear you rail out some Singapore girl." And he's yeah, like, "Yeah, no thanks." He's like, "Come on, man." I was like, "Well, look, if it gets weird, we're leaving. I don't give a shit if you want your nut. You can jerk off in your rack. We're leaving if it gets weird." And then that was the night that I met Liana, the girl that I fell in love with in Singapore, who I continued to talk to after deployment. And then uh, she was like, come move to Singapore. I was like, hell no, bitch. She's like, well, come visit. I was like, yeah, also move to Singapore? No. Like, no, I'm not going to She's like, well, come visit. I was like, well, I could take some leave. So I Googled flights, and they were like $1,550, like nine hell months out. No. I said, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> the most expensive pussy ever. And then thank goodness... COVID happened, so you had the perfect excuse. Yeah, and then I got in another shitty relationship. But now I'm here. And now you're in this house in a different relationship, and you're having a good time, and really, life's good. I really turned around. Yeah, you really really turned your life around from, you know, know, being the promiscuous little boy to being a homeowner and losing your ID in a drunken night. That was a fun time. But, you know. Yeah. And now you're now you're teaching. You you took over the mantle from me, which is uh, pretty wild. Which so I taught all of the deployment away, uh, and then I went back, did a second tour of teaching, and that was much worse. I oh man, after the first one, I was like, I'll never have to teach again. Thank goodness. And then I went back and did it again for another like six ish months, and finally got replaced. Moved back into the plant. You finally got out, and now you're in training now. So how how is it different than, like, what you were doing before? Because obviously you went from being a maintenance person to being a teacher. So let's start with maintenance person. I didn't, I didn't mind it. It was, it was a good time. I didn't like – I don't like the work controls process in Shipyard. I absolutely despise it. It's a big waste of time. It takes way too long, and there's ways that we could – 
speed up the process, but that's not how it works. So that was my biggest gripe and complaint. But um, I got upgraded from lead maintenance bitch to assistant work center supervisor, which I did not want. Chief and uh, Niles were like, hey, doll's going to 30, the promised land. You're, you're AWICS. And I said, fuck no. I said, fuck no. I was like, don't. I'm not going to be good at this job. I don't want it. I'm a good maintenance person. I'm not a good leader. He said, oh, it's fine. You just write teapots. And I was like, okay, not true. Because Chief would call me every day with like 30 dumbass questions. I'm like, I don't track that. I'm teapot guy. And he's like, well, you're AWICS. I was like, okay, cool. I got to step the fuck up. So I did for a while. I tried stepping the fuck up. But the shipyard process pissed me the fuck off. Then on top of LD quals, where I was a very dumb, stupid, angry boy, mm-hmm. pulled my head out my ass, qualified that shit. I was like, okay, you know, just don't be a dumbass and do your fucking job. It's not very hard. Why are you so lazy? Because I, I got in this rut for a while. I was very lazy. And uh, I still get in that rut sometimes. But well, it looked more like you were also like pretty stressed out from going yeah. from like someone telling you what to do to now you have to plan and tell other people what to Which do. Which I tried for a while. I It was like the new quarter right after Christmas leave. I took the whole next quarter. I scheduled people to do maintenance and I split it equally like big maintenance groups with uh, amongst different people. So like everybody had a load center takedown. Everybody had an e-board takedown. So everybody would get experience on how to do it instead of relying on the senior guys to do it. Exactly. Because that's right. really what the biggest issue usually is, is when you have a lot of those like really big maintenance items and stuff. And like a, a lot of people who listen are probably not going to understand that, but there's, there's different tiers of maintenance, right? You have like small things that are, you know, maybe 10, 15 minute items. Then you have things that take hours or even like whole days. Mm-hmm. And so scheduling some of that stuff is actually not very easy to do, especially when you're in like a maintenance environment and, other people are in control other than your normal chain of commands. Cause when we were on deployment and stuff and everybody, all of us here in this room have already seen this before where it's one of those things you walk in, you go, Hey, I want to do this. And you, everybody's on the boat. Everybody is probably within like two offices of each other. So it's very easy to go, Hey, I want to do this. We're going to do this. Here's my plan. And everyone just goes, yes, 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 yes. And then you go and you do it. And you can have like a two-day turnaround on even like the biggest things. But when you're in, you know, like a maintenance environment and an outside entity, just like not even a government agency is in charge of all of your maintenance, it just completely slopes off. And it makes it much more difficult to even like, I don't know, schedule a small thing where you're taking weeks to plan a small thing, much less a, a huge item that takes days so so I calculated it out. I said on a typical maintenance item, I wrote down everything you had to do. It's like a 12-step process. I calculated out how much time it would take to like, complete each step. And that's if people are doing their job, not just coping and joking. At a minimum, it takes at least a week to prep a small maintenance item. Not counting stuff and layup that you just go in and say, hey, send this paper. Like, that's the easy stuff now. Other stuff that requires you to like tag it out, take it down, clean it, do it, restore it. Minimum a week. If it requires a teapod, which is the, the whole shipyard outside entity stuff, that's at least two weeks. And then I got to have it ready like three, four weeks in advance. So doing that stuff, that was a huge stress on me. And I'd never hated it any more in my life from the months of September till about February. And then that's when I was like, I need to get out. 
and seen you cliche one day. I was like, hey, how long have you been in playing? I was like, three years. Three it's years, been a couple 84 months. Eighty-four years. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, he's like, it's been eighty-four. He's years. like, dude, you need to go somewhere else. I was like, you're fucking telling me, dude. I was like, I've been waiting for my golden ticket. You know, I've been waiting for my fucking Charlie factory, a Chucka factory fucking trip, dude. He's like, well, <laughs> you want to go to thirty? I was like, yeah, that'd be bitching. Please. Plus, I'm MVA qualified. Vibe, dude, right? He's yeah. like, sick. I'll write your name on a paper. And then the spot for RT came up. Balter, aka Ball Hair. I was like, oh, it's not that bad of a gig. And I was like, I don't know, man. I was like, Senior Harris. He's like, dude, Senior Harris is a different person, which is absolutely true. Senior Harris is a dope guy when he's not in charge of a bunch of dumbasses. And uh, right now my workflow is very nothing, really. Just LOKs. Yeah, it's a lot It's a lot different than what it used to be yeah. for you guys, especially because now that, we're tran- now that we are almost fully transitioned into the maintenance environment, for the training aspect, a lot of it can kind of run itself. Whereas before, my second time through, we were planning all of that, and it was just so much harder to, like, pre-plan everything that had to happen. So, I mean, I I, I understand. It's probably a lot easier now being, being, like, a teacher. I mean, as far as, like, now you're not really teaching. You're more doing, like, the administrative side of logging your trainings yeah. that we do and things like that. Because it's highly scrutinized, right? The nuclear pipeline has a lot of people who have their hands in it. It's all like the Department of Energy, the government, high oversight, even NAPSI. other ships. Yeah, like it. It doesn't matter. Like every little thing that happens, there has to be somebody that knows about it, and so it, it does make things very difficult. But once you get used to it, like you're used to the high scrutiny always being prepared to be asked questions and always having to have the answers to those questions. And a lot of people haven't really like dealt with that in the Navy. So, or in like the military in general, right? There's like very few people who have so much scrutiny. I would, I would venture to say there's probably like seals are probably just as highly scrutinized as the nuclear community. You have like probably a lot of your special forces where you have to have people accounted for, for everything that they do and the trainings they do. And then you have us, right? Every little thing we touch is all like... It's all documented. Yeah, so that we don't... We have like high documentation of we haven't messed this up in decades, right? So that we can still do what we have to do. And so I I think it's weird to, you know, we won't delve too deep into it, but it is. it has been like something very difficult to have to deal with on that side and being very highly scrutinized. I'd say now the workflow is more... I don't have a lot to do a lot of the time. Like it's totally different from when you were there. Cause now that we're in shipyard, I don't do a whole lot. I do training reports and all that. So I have a lot of downtime. And then when stuff happens, I'm slammed all day. But once I get it over with, I'm done. And then I go to the, the kids, the bean nukers, and I'm like, Hey, does anybody need help with anything at all? C- understanding anything. I've been here long enough. I kind of know a lot of stuff about everything, but mostly electrician stuff. And they all just stare at me. And it's getting to the point where it pisses me off and I walk in there and I'm like, does anybody need help with anything? And they're just coking and joking. They're like, no, we're good. And I'm like, okay. So then I took it upon myself because you, in a previous podcast, said that you created the green books, the red books, those booklets. Yeah. They were so a couple colors, but yeah. What I'm doing is I'm taking a... Con- they revised the BNUC notes because a guy came up to me. He's like, hey, what's up uh, What's this with this checkout? And I said, dude, it's in the notes. He's like, no, it's not. And I flipped the notes and I said, it was in the old ones, the ones I had. So I'm taking all the stuff that I had in my notes 
because I have access to like all the old revisions of meaning notes now, exactly. all the way back to 2010. So I can, I'm taking the best stuff out of everything and I'm putting it in there. I'm saying like, Hey, disclaimer, this is what you need to know as an electrician, but this isn't everything, but this will get you through it. Also, I dumb it down for the mechanics. Like, Hey, think of it like this. This is purely conceptual. It's not how it actually works, but for you to just picture it in your head or on a piece of paper, think of it like this. And, uh, I'm like 10% done with it. I just work on it as I'm standing watch. Oh, that's good. Very I mean, good. At least you're trying to like keep the, the teaching mentality up. Yeah, well, I'm tired of people coming to me and they're like, hey, man, can we talk about this? I'm like, yeah, sure. I was like, I'm like, do this. And they're like, What's oh, that? I don't know that. And I'm like, well, you need to. You came to me. <laughs> you need to know that. They're like, well, I'm not a electrician. I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter because you have to pass the same test as everybody else. Yeah, and and like when it comes down to it, that's another thing with the nuclear community is you have to know everyone's job at least a good bit. Which sucks. Right, and so it is like very difficult, but even through like the pipeline, which you guys can pretty much like you've been through it, right? There's like entire classes of everyone else's stuff that you also have to know on top of the things that you have to be an expert at. So you have to be like, a jack of all trades and a master of at least one. And so it does make things very difficult, right? When you're going through and you're like, I've never turned a valve. I've never used that tool. I don't know how that stuff works. And then you get to like your ship and you have to know exactly how that stuff works and even like the basics of it. And I feel like going through a deployment and like seeing how like, a deployment has gone versus working in like a shipyard environment. All of that knowledge has been like very much lost. And because all people care about now is can we get this maintenance done? We're never going back to see blah, 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 blah. Right. Yep. And it, it is difficult to watch. So I, I can understand where your, your, your frustrations lie now to, to flip this a little bit though. Uh, Wheeler, you have been, in maintenance basically your entire time that you've been here. Yes, you've never, forever. you've never had to, had to teach and train other than like, here's how you do this maintenance. Right. So, yeah. um, you are basically taking over an entire work center now. So oh, yeah. you're seeing what that feels like. So how does it feel like to basically go from being the maintenance boy to being like the Lord of that maintenance? Maintenance God. It's, it's stressful because before you could just someone be like, all right, do that. And you just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. You don't really question it too much. You're like, oh, he told me to do it. It's on him if it's wrong. And now it's it's you. It's you that's it's it's on if it's wrong. So you kind of, you know, go in with a bit more caution on how to do stuff. And you're like, oh, let me make sure. Let me double check and actually see if that's how we're supposed to do it. And I think that's like the biggest thing right now is kind of figuring out the right way of doing it. Cause for so long there's like, yeah, just do it like that. And you know, you just kind of take that somebody's word, but now you're the big boy. And sometimes got to learn today. Sometimes the maintenance item isn't even like every quarter, every year. It's sometimes like every five years and you, I've definitely helped Carl. And I think you primary when we do a maintenance item, that's every like five to nine years and you open it up and you're like, they didn't even do it. Yeah, they've never, yeah. <laughs> no one's ever seen those Dude, things this before. Is dirty. Well, and yeah, and also in like not getting your ego in the way of just like, if you don't know how to do something, 
you know, tell somebody, Hey, I don't know how to do this. Instead of just trying to look cool and be like, Oh yeah, I know how to do this. Well, even the reverse of that, when you know what you're doing, but you go to the, the khaki and yeah. the higher enlisted, you're like, Hey, we're doing this. And like, they question you and you're like, dude, how many times have you done this? Zero? Thought so. I do this all the time. It's not a big deal, but they yeah. just don't get it. Yeah. Well, and also like going into those like checks. So normally a tour, even for like a nuclear person is about four years. Mm -hmm. And so when you're seeing these five to nine year type checks, right, there's a lot of maintenance that we're doing now going into this like massive maintenance availability, right? So we are literally taking the reactor core out and we are putting a new one in essentially, uh, being that's about as much as we can talk about of it. But there's a lot of things that go into setting up for that and then coming out of it. And so there's these major maintenance items that only happen maybe four five, six times in an entire ship's life yeah. that you're having to deal with. So by the time it comes to you, no one's ever done it. True. Literally never looked at it, never touched it on the ship. Even people who are doing 20 years may have seen this one time or heard about it, but they were never there for that. And so... I think that I could definitely level with you on understanding like that's a stressful thing to have to take basically full control of is I've never seen this before. Yeah. All these words, they don't make a lot of sense to me. I've never been inside of this like piece of machinery even. And you're in charge of making sure that that's done correctly. Yeah. And I also try to look at things as opportunities as, you know, as opposed to being like a thorn in my side of, you know, <clears throat> that this is going to be a learning opportunity for me to find out like something I may not know because I'm being thrown into it vice me choosing it. Because if I was to choose to do something like that, that I haven't done before, I'd be like, no, I'm going to look like a total idiot. If I try to do that. But if I'm thrown into it, I have no choice. I'm like, I have to read all about this stuff before I do it. So I don't look stupid. And I think that's, that might be one good thing for me is some of these things I haven't seen before is it's throwing in me into things I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I I've had a, I've, we've, you and I have both been a part of the primary work center, which I, we will talk in primary depth on boys. that. Yeah. Primary boys. And, um, we're going to have to, we're going to do that one in a separate episode for sure. But I've definitely seen where there's been a lot of checks that, we specifically have to be in charge of, and we've never seen it. No one on the ship has seen it. Not our yeah. chiefs, not the, not even like the higher level, like officer people have ever touched this. They may have heard about it once. No one's ever actually seen it. And it becomes like a huge challenge because we have to do so much more research to make sure we don't mess it up. Sure. And so, yeah, I, I feel that. So... To step back a little bit. So, sorry, real quick. Tr training moment. Ready? What if you all document this for the future? On how to do it? Yeah, like the five minute range. I mean, we could do that, you know. Keep like a notebook, pass it That around. would take away all the fun for the people that do it in the next <laughs> nine years. <laughs> they wouldn't have to go what I go yeah, through. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone else can fuck around with that. No, I think the more political and correct answer is, is because obviously internet systems on our ship have changed drastically year after year right so even if you type up a document right you type that document up in a computer that computer system gets changed as it just did uh for us recently that knowledge gets lost 
you write it down on a sheet of paper, you expect that paper to last five to nine years. Garbage. It's never going to happen, right? <laughs> so, so even if there was like, someone might have already done it, but we will never know. We have literally ripped open every single book locker, every sort of place where paper gets kept, and we are in the process of throwing a lot of that stuff in a dumpster, basically. And you're not going to find it, right? Well, and how so, many, uh, How many licks does it take to get the center to its about? That's what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> so let's shift gears back a little bit, right? Yeah. So pipeline, right? N Noah, you literally spent time basically near your home. So True. you are originally <clears throat> from Spartanburg, South Carolina, right? And our entire pipeline for two years, essentially, if, if you play the game the right way and you show up in the Navy at the right time, you're going to be two years in Charleston, which is literally what, like an hour and a half, two hours away. It's like no yeah, time. About really. like two and a half hours. Yeah. And so what was it? I mean, for you, it was business as usual, right? Did you go and see your family a lot while you were home? Yeah. So like if I had a weekend off and I was wanting to go see my family, I can be like, yeah, on uh, on the Friday, just like dip right out of, out of class and then drive up there, spend the weekend there. And then drive back on Sunday night. Must be fucking nice. Yeah, it was it was pretty nice, honestly. But it was far enough away where I wasn't like feeling that it was so close to home. But at the same time, it was pretty nice going home whenever I wanted to. Because I saw like other people that were spending like fifteen hundred dollars, two grand on trying to go home in California, and I'm over here just like I'll just drive home and I'll be there this afternoon. Yeah, for you, it was like, all right, well, with traffic, I'll be there tonight, right? And I just yeah. got out of work today. And so I, I feel like a lot of people, right, when you join the military, you're probably not going to get stationed so close to home. Yeah. So my cousin uh, is like one of those weird cases where he was a corpsman. And so basically he worked at the, the Navy hospitals wherever, right? He went to boot camp, and that was the only time he was away from home. He got stationed in Pensacola, where we're from. He was like, his base was 20 minutes from where his parents were. So it was almost for him like he never he never left home. Yeah. And for you, it was, you kind of did leave home for that two years, but essentially you were so close that you were still able to go yeah. when really whenever you wanted. And it came in handy one time when, uh, it was when I first got there in Charleston. Uh, so... When I was in Chicago still, I was going to the airport and I was, you know, saying, hey, uh, use one of my friend's phones, be like, hey, uh, uh, can you come here and give me all my, you know, stuff so I have, you know, some you know, civilian clothes to wear whenever we get to Charleston. And my mom was like, yeah, we'll meet you at the airport. And I get there. She has my phone and everything. And uh, I get at the airport. I'm like, all right, I'm here now. And they're like, oh, we're right here, too. I'm like, which, where are you at? And they're like, oh, we're, we're you know, by blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm at O'Hare or, or at what the other one was. And we're at completely different airports found out. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I get to Charleston and on the plane ride there, my parents drove or got on a plane to Chicago, landed in GSP, which is Greenville Spartanburg Airport, and then drove two and a half hours down to Charleston and gave me all my stuff. So that was very nice. But uh, yeah, I love Charleston. Charleston, very nice. I, I had a good time there. All the food there, superior. Superior to here. I'll, I, I'll add that too. 
Uh, so every weekend I was going out to different restaurants, which I really enjoyed and I still enjoy doing. Yeah, I uh, I spent a lot of time in Charleston just checking out food sites. Yeah. Now, I met my wife while I was in Charleston. She lived in Greenville, so very yeah. similar, like close areas, right? And so we would, she would drive down to Charleston on the weekends whenever I was like, you know, not working. And we would just literally go out, check out the food scene. Now, the food scene in Charleston, absolutely insane. Yeah, Anyone who's ever spent time watching things like, you know, diners, drive-ins and dives and stuff. There's like 10 restaurants at least that like old guy Fieri has been to. And so I was able to really check every one of those places out multiple times. And my family was like close enough in Florida that they would drive up. It would take them like a whole day, but even still they'd get up and we would actually go out and check out the, the restaurant scene. Right. Yeah. And so I, I enjoyed Charleston a bunch. Like the area was nice. I didn't really enjoy the job very much. True. I feel like it was a lot of, you know, high school things over and over again. Yeah. But there's this very common saying that like the the age you join the Navy is the age you are until you leave the Navy. And I feel like that's very true. I or, mean or until you pull your head out of your ass. I, yeah. I feel like it was a very easy transition for me. I mean, coming right out of high school because I literally went to MEPS did my oath of enlistment and then the next day graduated high school, went to my high school graduation. Yeah. And, uh, cause my recruiter was like, Oh, you'll be treated better whenever you're still in school. And, nice. and yeah, no. So going from a classroom environment right into another classroom environment was pretty easy transition. However, comma, uh, being in a room full of all these different people from different parts of, you know, the country that have all these different beliefs. Cause I'm in this, this Bible belt where everybody believes, you know, God and everybody's straight or everybody's mostly white for the most part. And then you have all these different, you know, backgrounds. You're just like, what's, what's going on here? Yeah. So how was that for you guys? Like going through boot camp, specifically boot camp. So for myself, uh, I was in a performance division. I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. And it was like a complete shell shock for me. I came from a town that was like, the only non-white people in that entire like town ecosystem was basically my two brothers and then like this other Hispanic family. And then it wasn't until I moved to Jacksonville that I even had seen basically like my first black person in memory. Right. Cause I moved there when I was very young, moved in with like when my mom and my stepdad got married, I basically grew up in this very white ecosystem. Now, granted I have a Hispanic last name in the process of working on that. Um, and so it was like, it was very, it was, it was weird for me at first just because I had two Hispanic brothers and I saw yeah. all kinds of like very weird, like racism towards them. But then I moved to Jacksonville and I was like basically almost a minority. So I, it wasn't like social shocking, but then living in like this 80 plus person, like birthing essentially. So where like a bunch of people racks, you know, stacked from floor to ceiling and wall to wall and it was just every type of person every type of belief you've never heard half of the beliefs from these people it's like True. insane how was that transition for you guys like going into boot camp well i i think it, the biggest biggest one was uh religion because uh most of my friends were you know christian and then going to you know a school and boot camp and power school and all those and people are like 
I don't believe in God or they'll rag on me for it. I'm like, this is w- what's going on here. I'm not used to this. But I think that was the biggest thing for me because, I mean, I did have black friends. I did have people that, you know, were gay. So, I mean, that wasn't as much of a shell shock. But I think the the whole faith, because, I again, I am in the Bible Belt, and there's literally a church every five, you know, feet. You can, but, uh, yeah, that was probably the biggest one for me, I'd say. So, um, for me, the, um, the biggest thing I, I'd have to say that I took away from going to boot camp, going to A school, being in the military was uh, – I grew up in a very, so people, people are like Idaho, KKK, white people, white only. It's kind of like you. There was four black kids in my whole town. I'm from a small town, but like even in Idaho, there's not a lot of black people. I've noticed when I recently visited, there's a lot more diversity of people. Uh, But my whole life growing up, you know, like I remember I was very young at one point. My mom had a friend over and I guess it. This is a story she tells. I don't remember this at all, but I guess at one time I said, why is he covered in chocolate? And my mom freaked out. She's what? like, hey, man. She's like, that's not cool. That's just the color of his skin. He's not covered in chocolate. Like, that's how it was for me. I was like, who is this guy? Like, what's he doing? Because I was so used to white people everywhere. And then I grew up with white people everywhere. And Idaho is a very conservative state, but there's a, a majority of it is going very democratic. Well, they are like the West Coast yeah, butting up they're, against they're you know, Washington, California, Oregon. They're literally area. at this point. So Idaho is so Republican. We have like a front seat in the Republican National Committee. Like we've been Republican for like 50, 60, 70 years or whatever. But that's starting to turn. However, a lot of people in Idaho have kind of the same beliefs I do. When I was 18, I was like a hippie, like I said. But then I went to a school with a super conservative guy from Florida and at first we butted heads on a lot of shit because that was like the year Donald Trump was getting elected and I was like, look at this fucking clown. But by the time we both left, I feel like we both kind of gravitated towards the center and that's where I've been ever since Mm. because the way I see things is like, this is my opinion. I'll listen to yours and then after what you've given me, I'll think about the whole scenario, both sides of the picture and a lot, probably like nine times out of ten, I'll fall right in the middle. Like, yeah, it's kind of fucked up but, you know, that's, that's, it makes sense to do this, but, um, yeah, a lot of crazy, crazy Mormons where I'm from. And then leaving that pocket of where I'm from to go everywhere else. I noticed a lot of people are, I I'd say just like me, I wouldn't say, I, I mean, I live with Noah. I kind of rag on him every now and then. We watch the the Passion of Christ. That was fun. I made some <laughs> jokes here and there, but uh, <laughs> at the same time, I respect your beliefs, and I may poke fun at you every now and then. But at, at, at the same time, I still respect you. I still respect everybody as a person, no matter what belief, dogma, color, race, whatever the hell they yeah. are. I mean, you and me, we're both Garcias. We're both whiter than sour cream. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. I'd love to know your story. So okay, I'll, I'll tell you my story. Real a quick. bunch of people know. Uh, that have listened to this podcast that know me personally know my story. And at this point, like if you listened uh, even like last week, a couple weeks ago, I, whenever this episode airs versus the one that I had with uh, Ethan Zebron and Tim Earl, uh, I discuss at length um, my whole story essentially. But I want to know yours because obviously joining the Navy uh, with the last name Garcia, I got so many uh, second glances, confused looks, people going, Hey man, um, 
what's what's the story here, brother? You're white. I don't, I don't yeah, know why exactly. you're white. And then I got to a ship where not only was I not the only white Garcia, but you showed up and you were Gar- last name Garcia, also very pale, <laughs> porcelain skinned even. And then we also got a third uh, Garcia who was also of the porcelain skin. So it was very weird having three very white Garcias and every single person that I've talked to has just been very confused. And then when they hear my story, they're like, man, everyone else must have a crazy story too. But I want to know where is, how did you get this fantastic last name? So same. Uh, In fact, one of the mechanics, she said water control watch. Anyway, she asked me one day on the Mestex, Hey, you're so white. Why is your last name Garcia? At the time, I didn't really know. I was like, oh, we've been whitewashed a bunch, kept the last name. But my great-great-grandfather wrote a book that I read. Uh, he's not a huge New York Times bestselling author because he wrote the book in, like, 1930. But, uh, yeah, so my mom, super white, my grandpa white, but my great-great-grandfather has a book. My family... Which is called? Oh, God. I forget, man. Well, the one book your family <laughs> authors. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, man, I forget what the book's called. It was a pretty good book, though. So basically, this is how the book goes. My grandfather, my great-great-grandfather was first-generation American. My great-great-great-great-grandfather moved from Spain to Texas, right? This is like 1860-something before the Civil War. There were a bunch of cattle ranchers in Texas, and that's what they did. His, 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 my great-great-great-great-grandfather was a cattle rancher, you know, and then his son was a cattle rancher, but he was like, hey, you know what? It's 1850. Let's move to the Midwest. I'm 18 years old. I can do the fuck I want, you know, cowboys, guns, whatever. Yep. So he moves up to the Northern Pacific, Northern West Pacific, right? So like Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Mon- and like Washington, current states. And uh, he's got this book. Basically, it, it, it tells this whole story of like living in the mountains because he wanted to be a buffalo trapper, which he left Texas with a friend to be a buffalo trapper. The friend said, fuck this, too hard, I'm done, left. He's like, well, I'm still going to make it as a buffalo trapper. So for a while, and, and, you know, he would go into towns back in the day and he's like, oh, I'm going to go up in the mountains and be a buffalo trapper. And people are like, look out for the, the Indians, they're savages, you know, like classic stereotypical back in the day, like they're native savages. Ends up camping out there for a winter, associates with the Crow clan, or no, 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 the Shoshone clan. And uh, then he also associated with some other, I think it was the Cheyenne clan. Ends up marrying one of the Cheyenne girls who gets picked on because she had like fucked up teeth or something. Uh, stays there the whole time. And then he kind of tells the story of the Native Americans through like a white person's eyes in his book because he'd lived with them for so long. And like assimilated with them to where he was basically part of the tribe, but he was a white man. And uh, he saw the influence, especially of like alcohol on natives, because natives didn't make alcohol back in the day, but they would trade anything for it because it got them fucked up. So when like wagon, when like a whiskey wagons would roll into the, the tribe, he would run them off because he's like, these people will sell their whole lives for this whiskey. You know, it's really fucking up the Native American culture because they'll give you like, You'll charge him like 50 buffalo pelts for like a bottle of whiskey, but that's not what it's worth. You know, it's worth so much more. And this is the time when buffaloes are being hunted almost to extinction. So he lived up there with them for a while. And then like the Indian Wars kind of were going on between the Cheyenne, the Shoshone, 
uh, the Kootenai, which I'm from Kootenai County. And uh, then he assimilated to Idaho. And then after he was done with his, his, his Indian, his native wife was actually killed in one of the battles. Like a native tribe raided their tribe or something. And, uh, you know, she was killed. They didn't have any children. So I'm not yeah. Cherokee or native or care. You know, I, I've done my genealogy. I'm not any native American, but I'm mostly Northern European and Hispanic, but the last name is Hispanic. And, uh, what happened was Idaho back in the day was like a big gold and silver town, which I took my girlfriend on a tour of. It's called the silver Valley to this day, but you know, the water's so poisoned because all the mining has got tons of arsenic and lead in it that they don't even let their kids drink it or swim in it. Damn. Uh, some really cool YouTube documentaries. But basically, he settled in Idaho in the Silver Valley, you know, raised children there. And basically, people just stayed where they were. And then people kept marrying white people. And now to this day, I'm white as fuck. Still last name Garcia. And that's the my white story. Man. But yeah. you actually got it from... A, an actual from Hispanic a Spaniard name. guy, yeah. yeah. If you look at my genealogy, I pulled it up. It's like my dad's half is like all Northern European, and then my mom's half is like Spain and Portuguese, and then a little bit of African because everybody's got a little bit. So, yeah. So you basically like you work your way back, and you're like greatest to like the seventeenth yeah. degree or whatever. Right. Still very from Spain, came to America. Yeah, you kept a Spanish last name, and the only reason I have the name is because. My parents were going through some shit when I was born. My mom's like, you're not having your dad's last name. Fuck that dude, you know? So she gave me her last name. Now, is your brother... So your brother is also in the nuclear Navy now. Yes, is yeah. he God also from the same man? So, no. Because you guys look similar, which is... Not really. Maybe it's probably from my mom. So my dad... No, I'm sorry, my brother. My brother has a different dad. And that guy, uh, I remember as a little kid, my mom being with him. But it was a very short time. Come to find out, he stole her identity, opened up a bunch of credit card, fucked her credit up, you know, like, like, like fucked her shit up. And she was like, oh, he's a, like, they were just dating at the time and she got pregnant. She's like, hey, I'm pregnant. And he's like, <laughs> later. And that's what happened. So my brother is uh, a bastard child, child out of wedlock, Noah, you know. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> um, but no, he's been with us the whole time. His dad ended up going to prison because he robbed a bank in, in Washington, in Spokane, Washington. Recently got out. My mom's flipping out about it. And I'm like, Mom, he doesn't even know who the fuck you are. He doesn't know where you are. She's like, oh, he'll track me because she's crazy and paranoid. But my brother, yeah, he, he also has the last name Garcia because he is also a little bit, I guess, Hispanic. Uh, and I convinced him to join the Navy, which is a yeah, fun so, time. So describe the process of you <laughs> talking your brother into not only joining the military, which that's fine, right? A lot of people do join the military. I know that they like to be like, you're the 1%, right? Or whatever, but anyone can do it so long as they meet like certain very easy prerequisites other than being born with some predispositions and not doing enough drugs that you pop on a piss test the day you go to MEPS. Okay. Um, what caused you to convince him that he wanted to do what you're doing basically. So I'm the oldest kid. My brother's the second oldest kid, not including my stepsister. So between me and my mom, my brother's the second oldest and then our sisters are younger. Uh, and my whole life growing up, like when I was in high school, I was like, Hey, I'm taking CAD class. I want to be an architect. He's like, I want to be an architect too. I was like, dude, don't copy me just cause you want to copy me. Like do what you want to do. He's like, no, seriously, I want to be an architect. 
I Googled it. I looked into it. It looks pretty cool. I was like, all right. I do my thing. I join the Navy. Go off. Have a good time. Miserable time. It's not bad. Uh, but I'm in the Navy. I'm like still in power school. Maybe just got to the fleet. And my brother is in high school. I transfer commands from New York to Washington. And he's still in high school. He's like, I think I want to join the Navy. And I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna give it to you straight, cut and dry. I was like, sucks. Sucks a lot. However, think about it this way. It sucks a lot. Mm. But if you sacrifice this many years of your life to get the rewards of being in the military, VA loans, school loans, what have you, maybe you're smart with your money, you save it, you invest it like Noah did here, become very well off. Yeah, especially being the Doge Lord. Yeah, the Doge Lord of the fucking asshole. <laughs> you could, I said, your potential from the military, it's a very easy transition to adulthood because, like, think of it this way. If you get out of high school, what now? You go to college. You got to get a job. How are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to pay your rent? You got to move in with people. You could do all this stuff. Or you join the Navy. They pay for your housing. They pay for your medical care. Not you very still good. live with a bunch of people. You still live with a bunch of people. However, it's like not as difficult as leaving the nest and fending for yourself. That's how I see it. They tell you how to do everything. They literally tell you how to do <laughs> how everything. To and all on. you have to do is listen. Yeah. All you have to do is follow the instructions. So I said, hey, man, you can go to college because he was already looking to apply to college. I said, you can go to college. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'm not saying you're going to have a worse time. Maybe you play your cards right. You do some smart stuff. And... Uh, Things work out. I was like, but the Navy is an, or the military in general, I guess, is a very easy transition hood from being a child to being an adult. Because by the time you get out, you're an adult. You know how things work. You know how to pay your taxes. And a lot of people yeah. as well by that time. So, I mean, all of us here have done a lot of things in the military, right? From mm -hmm. buying a car, which some people, right? Uh, I built my first car with my stepdad, all right? And then I also, after that, purchased another vehicle to go to college. And then I purchased a vehicle, not cash, but through a dealership for the first time while I was in the military. I have since bought another vehicle and learned how to trade value, blah, 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 right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could understand that where like, you know, learning how taxes work because you have to still pay taxes, right? And yeah. if you're a child in college and your parents aren't really helping you because like my parents much like you Noah, uh were like we don't have two pennies to rub together True. so we're not gonna pay for any of your college you're gonna figure it out yourself and so i had to fend for myself where you guys joined right out of high school so yeah. i was 23 years old when i joined the navy i had struggled i had lived in multiple houses with a lot of different people, like a lot of my friends from high school and stuff like that. But still, I did the struggling for six years, five, six years after high school and still had to, you know, I dug my way into like severe debt for myself at the time. And then I was like, okay, well, I need to do something. And then I graduated college with just like an associate's degree after going for years and was like, all right, well, I need to grow up and do something. And they were like, oh, well, we'll give you like $11,000 to join. And so they put enough money in front of me that I could pay all my debt off, or at least that's the number they said was enough to pay my debt off. And I was like, all right, good enough. Now, granted, I did not know much about taxes other than 
I would turn in my tax forms and I'd pay nothing because they would just give me a free paycheck every year because I apparently paid too much in taxes, whatever. But I, I could totally see where like if you're joining right out of high school, it is a very easy transition. Yeah. Granted, you also tend to find out things like your stress level living at home is probably not very high. Even for myself, when I was growing up with my parents up until I was like 20 years old and they were like, Oh, Hey, your dad's not your dad. I had never really dealt with a lot of stress while living at home. Whereas, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. um, I don't know if y'all know this, but I grew up like very poor. Like I I think that's why I did the military because so growing up, right? Like, my mom was very successful until she met my brother's father. And then things were downhill from there because no good credit score, can't do anything, can't get no loans, right? Met my stepdad, loved my stepdad, hated him growing up, love him now, maybe the guy I am today. Uh, but we were like literally renting house to renting house to renting house. My dad got laid off a bunch. And then 2008 hit and we had like no money. And that's when I was like, I was like 10 or 11 and I was stressing out because like I was, had the conceptual realization that we could be homeless. I was like, we could like, and we were for a while. I had to live with my brother's father for a while, which my mom did not want to do. I lived with him for two years and my mom was living with my grandma and my grandma's dirt poor. You know, my grandma, she sells junk. She finds out of, um, like trash cans. She's a dumpster driver. She loves it. She loves being thrifty. But my parents with my very young sisters moved into their house for a while. So like growing up, like money was not a thing. There were some summers where like my parents made too much money. We couldn't get food stamps and the pantry was fucking empty. I was like, how is the pantry empty when we have food, fucking food stamps, dude? My mom was like, you know, we, we spent all the food stamps this month. And I was like, mm. what the hell did we spend the fucking food stamps on? You know? And then, or it was like, Hey, um, we're off food stamps now. We have no fucking food at all. So like growing up, very stressful environment. And I, I always told myself I strive to not be like my parents, which is not shitting on them. However, I don't ever well, want to... You live with what you got. Yeah, well, I don't ever want to have children and be like, do I get gas or do I get groceries? Like, do I go to work or do I get groceries? Which one is it? So that's like me and my brother's background. Now, back to my brother... He was like, what do I do, you know? And I smoked pot a lot as a high schooler. However, I would like to say that I, I know. I, I would like to say that I was smart about it. Um, I didn't hang out at like drug houses and stuff like people that I was friends with did. Uh, I always smoked at home and I didn't, I wasn't like crazy about it. But my brother, on the other hand, super smart guy, super smart kid. Math, science, he's got it. Common sense, what I had, street smarts, I guess. Not a fucking thing to this kid. He would do anything, (laughs) get caught, and be like, shit. And I was like, what were you thinking, bro? Like, what the hell's wrong with you? You have to think, like, risk versus reward. You have to think about how much trouble you're going to get in for what you're doing. I was like, you don't do that? He's like, no, I just do it. I said, okay, dumbass. I joined the Navy. I'm in boot camp. I get a letter that says, hey, your brother was busted selling or buying weed at school or whatever, you know? Mm. I was like, oh, no, this kid's fucked. I was like, this kid's fucked because Idaho is very no weed. So, and like states, states around Idaho have all legalized weed. And Idaho has been like, we're going to pass a bill that says weed's still legal, even if it's federally legal. States' rights, which most people don't agree with. That's a different discussion. 
But yeah, my brother gets caught with weed. I say, hey, Navy, it's pretty cool. He was still able to get in with a waiver. So that just goes to show that like there's some pretty crazy shit that you can do. Um, in this time, it, I don't think it'll be considered a crazy thing in future times at this point, but like, uh, uh like, well, at the time yeah. it was like a huge deal, but even still, yeah. he was still able to get in. He's now still able ahead. to get in with a drug charge on his record, well, which we'll is say, good. I'll say this with as much as we shit on the Navy, right? Uh, it has given us a lot of like the ability to buy houses or buy cars because there's not many people that are our ages. Well, I guess my mine and Isaiah's ages that have a house. Well, Isaiah, for instance, has a house. Yeah. But uh, I mean, like texting people back home, like, hey, do you want to hang out or you want to go to this place or whatever? And like, dude, I'm broke right now. I'm like, uh, well, what, what do I, you mean? And I have brothers who are, you know, you guys' age and they're just not even living paycheck to paycheck. I got a brother who's got a kid, basically two kids and uh is living with my mom now and i mean it's yeah. it's rough dude i mean the one thing that the navy has given i think a lot of us that have joined that have done pretty well with our money or at least you know specifically in the nuclear pipeline right you get you get moved up enough quick enough that eventually you will make money to where you can buy a house and be financially stable before you get out and a lot of people don't have that opportunity that are outside of the navy or the military in general, right? So it has allowed you to, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily say buy lavish things, but you've been very financially well off. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you'll probably make tens of thousands of dollars, whereas, like, my brothers, like, both of their paychecks combined in the last probably, even pre-COVID time, like, their year-to-year -year combined was not even what I was pulling in. And that's not really to say that, like, oh, they made wrong life decisions and I made correct ones. Cause obviously like everyone's situation is different, but what I was able to do in the military, even though I was waking up at four o'clock in the morning, most days and really hating, you know, my job is I was able to take the money that I was making, turn that money into more money by putting it into stable investments and doing things like that and still be able to afford to buy a newer car, uh, buy a, very nice house for my family, which yeah. I just sold. Um, you know, there's a lot of like very positive things in life that the Navy can bring people or the military in general. Right. Whereas my, I, I see my brothers, I, I call them all the time and I get to, you know, hear what weird adventures they're going through and sure. Like the freedom to do whatever drugs you want or drink whenever you want and sleep until noon, whenever you want. That's great. However, I also grew up dirt poor, can't rub two pennies together, didn't even have money to put like the senior ad in my yearbook, right? That kind of stuff. Like I had no money growing up, but I learned the value of a dollar. I was working three jobs prior to the Navy. I'm now making still more money than I was working this one job than I was making it three jobs before I joined. And it's just, it's very weird to see where my life has changed from my brother's life because I could have very easily grown up in my town, never left my town, suffered and struggled and never met my wife, never had my child, never like done all the things that I've been able to do or meet the people I've met. And it, it has been like 
an eye opener for me where I, I do enjoy the people of the Navy, right? The people I've met have been the best people that I, I can call pretty much any of you guys on any given day and be like, yo, I'm in town, let's go hang and it'll happen. Right. But when you go home, that is like not the case. It is very much like, Hey, you want to hang out? And they're like, nah, dude, I'm, I got $5 in my bank account to last me like weeks. Right. It's not even like it's the, it's the 16th of the month. I have $5 to last me until the first of next month. Right. That, I've never had that problem in the Navy. I've always found a way to pay my bills, buy food that I want to buy for my family and myself and never have to like worry when I swipe my card for like, if I swipe this card on this bill, is it going to overdraft? Right. And so I, it does give you that financial stability and it allows you to understand that like adulthood doesn't have to be scary. And you guys did it where you joined early enough that you're transitioning into that adult mentality of, I know how much things actually cost wherever I live Mm -hmm. so that when you do decide, do I want to go to college? Do I need to just get a job right out of the military? You're given these benefits, right? I think that it has helped for you guys that you're going to have a very stable transition from, you know, I graduated high school to I am now a full-fledged adult having to do adult things, right? You'll have families of your own. You'll have kids of your own. But you'll understand how much it costs to do things and actually exist. So that's the thing that I tell a lot of people because it's not just – because I've been contacted because people on Facebook know like I'm in the military, you know, I, I share like military memes and people know, you know, even my brother's friends know because my brother talks about me and now he talks about himself. And the thing I always tell everybody is it's a little bit of sacrifice, like six years. Like, yeah, it seems like a long time. However, sorry, it's the dogs. It's fine. Uh, like four years of high school. It's that fast. Five years in the Navy that fast at this point, which it doesn't seem like it goes by very fast but it does so like a little bit of like uh what's what's the what's the term like the 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 amount that you give in every day is so much like more when it comes to like benefits that you get in the military because the military teaches you like like pay your bills on time or you're going to get in trouble. Right. So that's what you stress on. So you're like, I got to pay my bills or I will literally lose my job. And my job is guaranteed by a contract. So like, I'm just going to like, I guess rewind. So people know me by like cars and stuff and like being generally irresponsible (laughs) and being dumb as hell. Right. But I'd say about eight or nine months ago, or maybe 10 months at this point, I pulled my head out of my ass and I was like, Everybody around me is being so much more successful than am I, than I am, and I don't know why. Like we're all in the same job, so how how am I literally like in the military at that point, living paycheck to paycheck? Like what the fuck is wrong with me? And the whole back to what you said, the age you join the military is the age you stay. That's something I heard Debo say a while back, and I was like, Haha, yeah, homie, that right, bro. And then, like, years later, I was like, I was like, um, holy shit, that's me. Like, I'm still a 17-year-old fuckhead, and I need to stop being a 17-year-old fuckhead. You were like, hey, fast cars, living life yeah, in the right? fast like, lane. Joining the, joining the military, the recruiter's like, dude, you got, like, a nice car. You get, like, a $100,000 re-enlistment bonus. Like, 
you're good. You're set up for life, homie. And you're like, yeah, dude, I'm a nuke. Suck my dick. And then you get here and you're like, this shit sucks. But you're like, it sucks, but it's like worth it in the end. Yeah. And it's not like, they don't just give you all this money, right? Like you get your money. You're like, well, shit, I, I, I subscribe to all this stuff every month. I pay this bill. I have like $500 left. <laughs> and then you're like, car parts. Cool. Buy it. Done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can choose to either put that five hundred dollars into savings oh, or in stocks. I'm back from deployment. Anymore. Time to buy some fucking car parts, bro. You know, shit like that. Like that's how I was, and I really wish I wasn't like that. Yeah. So I know that at one point you had gone through and bought like so many different things, and I remember you talking incessantly about your vehicles. Yeah. So the from those who uh, don't know me. Used to be the chairman of the old Z Crew. Yes, uh, Z Crew. I drove a 370 Z. So let me give you some background, right? Uh, back in Washington. So I bought my 370 Z back in New York. And uh, I was like, dude, because I had an RX 8. And that was when I got into cars. I got into cars because I took my old car to a mechanic and they were charging me like $2,500. I was like, dude, I could do this stuff by myself. I'm just going to learn about cars. So I did. And uh, then I bought the 370 Z. And I was like, bro, I'm going to pimp this shit out. This is so cool. I've never loved cars. I love cars now. Come to find out, car parts are very expensive, and cars are an extremely expensive hobby. Um, but that didn't deter me. Especially for a depreciating value. Like That's the <laughs> yeah. thing that a lot of people don't realize is like if you're into cars, there's like maybe 30 cars that have ever been made that have – like they stopped appreciating in value and then that's it, right? Yeah, like unless you have like a Dodge Viper or a, like a Nissan GTR, like an old one, like, hold on. We have to get the dogs. All right. Uh, I don't yeah, know where so, we were. Yeah, so <laughs> we had the the dog wave come through. Not, not not Dogecoin. We're talking about Dogees. Real pit bulls. <laughs> yeah, dude. Good Lord. <laughs> I think I was talking about cars are a very expensive hobby. Yeah, so there's literally maybe like 30 cars that have ever existed that eventually stopped appreciating value or maybe even go up in value. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, most cars don't. And most car guys are hunting those cars and then trying to fix them from rusted shitholes. Like I want to. <laughs> I mean, I, to this day, so so I have this car crew, right? 370Z. But still, my dream car is either 240Z, which... I seen a pimped out one on base. I saw the chief at the cars and coffee that owns it. And I was like, dude, this thing's fucking sick. I was like, how much did you put into this? He's like, dude, I don't even want to tell you. I was like, well, I really like your car. He's like, I literally built this from a rusty body up. I've ordered every part. I've manufactured every part, which is a lot of a thing that a lot of people, I would say personally, me joining the military. I was like, dude, I'm going to have all this money. I'm going to have like a nice car, nice house, hot bitch. You know, that's what I'm saying. No offense, babe. She's in the shower, but she's not, she's not a bitch, but you know, like, like having like girls stuck to you like glue. That's how it was being from my hometown, being in the military was like, you were a rock star, right? You were a rock star. If you joined the military where where I'm from super red state, you know, like military all the way. So join the military for me. wasn't a huge thing, but, um, what it broke down to was, Never been into cars my whole my life. My whole life. My dad was super into cars. I didn't get it. I was a video gamer, still a video gamer to say. But when my car was breaking down, I was like, I'm gonna learn about this shit. And then the more I googled it, I was like, dude, cars are so versatile, and I actually really like them. 
So I bought the 370Z. Uh, I started pimping it out a little bit. Not really. I, I did a muffler delete like before deployment. Mm. But then after deployment, I was like, dude, I've had the most money I've ever had in my life. Time yeah. to blow this shit on car parts. Yeah, boy. And my house because I had to furnish my house. So I blew half of it on my house. And I blew the other fucking half of it on car parts. Which... I will have to say this. If you've ever been to Virginia or are into cars and you want to come to Virginia, don't because the car scene here sucks. And <laughs> this is a quote from me directly. The car scene in Virginia is what got me out of cars because the car scene here, like I was all about it. Z crew. The thing that I started here is an Australian thing, which I found on Facebook because it said W a, which I thought said Washington, but that's not what Washington is. That means Western Australia. Yikes. So I joined this car crew from Western Australia and I was like, Hey man, I'm, I'm in the United States. I'm super, I'm all about it. You know, I wish I could hang out with you guys. And then one guy was like, Hey man, like I'll send you a bunch of stickers and like some car stuff. I was like, word, you know, like car cleaning stuff. He's like, I was like, yeah, cool. Sounds good. So I paid 20 American dollars. I got uh, a box of like car sense, car detailing stuff, stickers, all this stuff. And I was repping the crew in the US, right? And I was going to car meets in Everett, Washington. I was late for duty one day because I was so fucking tired that I overslept my alarm and I lived on the ship. So Senior Kapler was not very happy that I was late for turnover on the ship <laughs> because I slept through my alarm. Uh, and then all deployment, I was talking about it to everybody. I was coming up with car designs, things I wanted to do in my car. So when we got to Virginia, I, uh, I started doing it. You know, I bought a spoiler. Uh, I, I lowered my car, I did yeah. all this shit to it. But then I was like, I don't have enough money for all this stuff I want to do. But I love talking about cars. I've, I, and my favorite type of car is the Japanese car. Like pe Some people are fans of uh, like like European cars or American muscle. But um, I, I really, really love Japanese cars. I that JDM life. Because <laughs> I started with an RX-8, and then I found the 370Z, then I found an RX-7, which is even cooler, you know. And then I found the, the Silvia S14, the S13, the GTR, and the GTR to this day is still my dream car. I would love to own one. But uh, anybody on deployment or on the ship really knows that I love cars. And, yeah, I mean, I remember the first time that you came over to my place in Washington. You came over with the express intent of putting tint on your and like I was, I was using I was using your wife's blow dryer to heat <laughs> up my wrap to wrap my tail lights. This is a no shit real life story. <laughs> I remember so me and my wife, I don't remember, I think we were just throwing like a get together in Washington. It was like it, a baby shower or something. Yeah, and uh you were like, "Oh, hey, uh can I can I bring like some stuff to work on my car?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" I'm like, I don't care. I remember you pulled up and like before you had pulled up, my wife was like, yeah, so who else coming? I'm like, oh yeah, like this person, that person, this person and Garcia. And she's like, what? Another Garcia? I'm like, yeah, don't you know it? He's also white. <laughs> and she's like, no fucking way. I'm like, yeah, no, seriously. Uh, yeah, he's going to be here like pretty soon. He'll be like one of the first people here. We're going to work on his car. And she was like, I mean, what kind of car is he driving? I'm like, it's like some like Ricer car. I don't remember. <laughs> like, Ricer. Me, not huge into like cars and stuff i've been like a truck boy my whole life so you know you had z crew i had truck gang and uh <laughs> so i've been like hella into trucks but i remember you rolled up and we had to pull your your head and tail lights out and you were trying to like tent them to yeah. like yeah and it was just ass 
<laughs> my wife was just like, I have no idea what's going on right now in literally my tiny living room apartment. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there fucking. <laughs> okay, rabbit, rabbit. Okay, not good enough. So, like, literally a month before this, I had wrapped my head or wrapped the roof of my uh, car black, and it was my first wrap job ever. I was like, man, this this wrap stuff's really easy. You just gotta get it really hot. You can stretch it, you know. So I uh, found some tinted, some tint for your taillights because I was trying to black and white my car, make it panda. That's what's called. And uh, I was like, I need to black out my taillights, and then I'll paint my headlights. I hadn't had my headlights painted this time, but it's like I could just wrap my taillights black, and I'll be fine. Come to find out, I got a ticket for that. But um, oops, <laughs> literally, I left your house. And then, like, a week or two later, it was 4th of July weekend. I drove home to Idaho, which was six hours away. And I was at my great-grandmother's house on the 4th of July with my grandma, my girlfriend, and me. And I was I had a heat gun that I bought. <laughs> and I was I was heating it up. I was like, okay, stretch it, stretch it. You know, like, wrap it, wrap it, wrap it. And then that's when I actually wrapped my, my taillights and I tinted them. And from there, it kind of went bonkers. I... We moved here, and I helped a bunch of people build their fucking cars. I, I gave car parts to people, which I still haven't got back today. But overall, I would say uh, it was a good experience. But um, Yeah, I mean, you literally basically created a whole community of Z yeah. owners. No, we had, we had like 30, 35, 40 people at one point. In, but that was... Sorry. Uh, so my friend Ty... Uh, I was thinking about him earlier today when we were driving to Virginia Beach. Um, he was part of Z Crew. He's like this 60, 65-year-old guy that was in our car club. He was old as fuck, but his car was like pimped out. With yeah. like, It wasn't pimped out like, oh, that's cool. It was pimped out like, you know, like I kind of, in my own head, I kind of was like, that's not very good. I was more of like a roll, like a low and slow kind of guy. Like I like to roll into car meets, be very respectful, don't do burnouts, don't do donuts, don't backfire, shit like that. I was more about the appearance of your car more than what was in your car. Cause there was two options with my car. It was make my car fast or make my car cool. And I couldn't afford to make it fast. So I made it cool. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a lot of the story for a lot of people that I met. And I, and as soon as we got to Virginia, uh, I met my friend Angelo, my friend Ty, my Ty, just my friend Ty, or my friend, um, not Ty, my friend, shit. He's my friend. I know him. Um, John, John, yeah, I met John. That, he just there put he his, is. yeah, forty he, members. You had to scroll through the Rolodex. Well, they, it was me, Ty, John, and Angela. We were the original members of this car crew that I started over here in Virginia Beach, and we grew pretty big. But I just got done with the car scene because it was so ghetto over here. It's a bunch of people with their Hondas and their fucking Challengers and just... It is like a very Dodge Challenger, Dodge Charger. It is, but heavy. if it's not Dodge Challenger, Dodge Charger Mustang, it's Honda Civic, it's 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 Hyundai Forester, it's, 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 just, it's just these cars that it's like, yeah, sure, your car sounds very loud. I'm glad that it sounds loud, but your car <laughs> looks like shit, which I don't care, you know? <laughs> and then there was very few people around this area that I actually respect in their car. And there's a, there's a saying in the car community, it's respect all builds, you know, because you're building your car. Um, but I, I draw a problem with respecting your build if you spend absolutely the minimum amount on car parts. I don't care if you drive a Honda Civic. If you spend top quality on car parts, that's something that people in the car community are going to notice. But there's things that... The car community here, like one guy, he had the same car as me. He ended up joining our car club. And he had these carbon fiber uh, 
cold air intake scoops on his bumper that he cut out, but he mounted them backwards. They were pointing down towards his radiator instead of straight to his air intakes. And I, I was like, why did you, why did you, you know, you mounted your air intakes backwards. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I just wanted my radiator to be cooled off more. I was like, but you're not turboed. That doesn't make any sense. You're, you're naturally aspirated. It doesn't make most of y'all want to understand this, but basically, if you're turboed, you need more cooling to your cooler. If you're not, you need more air to your air intake. And he did the reverse. And I was like, I don't get it. Are you just trying to look cool? Or are you trying to actually have performance and look cool? He's like, well, I'm just trying to look cool. And I was like, okay, whatever. And uh, a couple weeks ago, before I went on leave, I found out that my friend Ty, that has come to my house and had a barbecue or two with me, that was the oldest guy of our Z crew, had actually died. And I never knew how old he was. I knew he had complications because the year that I knew him, from when I met him, we were walking around car meets together with all the boys, you know. And then, like, a year into knowing him, he was like, oh, man, my back hurts really bad. You know, like, I can't really walk very fast. And I was like, all right, Ty, like, I'll start bringing a chair. So I started bringing a chair for him and shit to sit down at car meets because he liked to just be there. He liked the atmosphere. He liked the community. He liked the group He was all about it. Yeah, he was all about it. And I... I felt really bad when I sold my car and I was like, Hey man, I'm, I don't have a car anymore. You know, like I have a sedan. I bought a Nissan Maxima. He's like, Oh, well Z crew's over. It's dead. I was like, it's not dead. You know, there's other people that I just kind of tossed the torch to. And I was like, Hey, take over, do the things that we do normally, you know, just keep doing it. Well, he died, which I found out from people in the car, the car club that he died. And I was like, shit me man i was like he ties not that old he was like 60 you know and they're like well he's been having medical complications since 2015 he was in a surgery and he didn't make it and at first i was like like i just talked to the dude like two three days ago i was like hey come over for a barbecue and he was like okay i'll be there in a couple of days but he you know he so yeah and, and then it's, it's rough dude you build like a community that yeah. turns into something big and then you know any even like, you know, it's finite. That's the thing is. So I was like, okay, well, you know, we got to do something for his funeral or something. We got to commemorate him, you know, let's get the boys back together. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, when's his funeral? Like Tuesday. And I was like, I'm going on leave. I'm not going to be here, bro. Which long story short, I didn't make it to his funeral. I didn't make it to his final casket viewing. I asked what is, what graveyard he was buried in, but they said he was cremated, so his wife's got his remains. And uh, it's it just sucks, like, getting to know people around here. And then, I, I don't know, I've never had anybody in my life die other than my great-grandfather that I really liked and really looked up to. Uh, but I was, like, six when my grandfather died. So I was like, oh, that's sad, you know. But, like, now as an adult, I'm like, one of my good friends died. Like, he was old, but he was cool as hell. Yeah, and that's one thing that you're gonna you you deal with in the military is a lot of loss. Now, some people, right, in other branches, not so much the Navy per se, you'll go out and you know you might lose a friend that you know you've made for like six months, right? That's your age, right? And that's you know that's hard for people. And even if you know you meet people of various ages, right? You move around to places you've never been before. And it is hard, man. I I wholly understand like what that loss feels like. Uh, when I was when I was nineteen years old, I had uh, I'd been living in Jacksonville. I was going to school in Jacksonville, 
And um, my cousin, Melanie, she, uh, she like hung herself. And that was like the first time that I had ever been like old enough to understand what loss really was. Right. Yeah. You know, cause you, you lose family members, like very old family members. Right. And most of the time it's like, you're six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 years old. You don't really understand what that means. Right. You just kind of go like, Oh, well, where are they at? And then, you know, your family chokes up and it sucks. Right. And, um, so I was 19 years old and I was literally in college. I had remembered I was working, um, at TGI Fridays and I just got like a hundred phone calls and like my, my pocket was just buzzing for like an hour straight. And finally I was like, yo, I got to take a break. Right. So I walked out the back of the TGI Fridays and I, I finally just like called my mom. I was like, Hey man, like why in the, why in the hell is everyone calling me right now? And they're like, bro, like Melanie is gone. And we're like, well, whole world falls. Right. You know what I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard to lose anyone, especially people that like you friends that basically become closer than your family or your family. Right. And so for me, I, I had immediately was like, Hey, I need to like leave. I talked to my supervisor. He was like, leave now. <laughs> like, why are you even still here? Right. We'll cover it. We'll figure it out. And I remember it was like 11 o'clock at night when I finally got in this break and I had found all this information out and I drove from Jacksonville to Panama city nonstop. Like I literally had got back to my room. I threw a bunch of shit in a duffel bag. I literally forgot socks and underwear for fuck's sake, like, <laughs> and drove across the state to be, you know, with my family showed up at like two, three in the morning. And, you know, then we had to like plan a funeral. And so it's hard. And I mean, I, I could not imagine what it would have been like or what it must've been like for you to be like, yo, like this guy who is basically like family, we go on car rides together. We've done all this stuff together. You literally like brought a chair for this man to like be a part of this community that he is like a huge part of. That was a huge part of your life. And you know, then you're like, oh, I'm literally like flying out of state and won't be able to like be there for, you know, the last ride really. Yeah. It, it really sucked. Cause, um, when I found out, I was like, dude, if you got to, because Ty, Ty was very like like Noah here. He was a devout Christian. He was very Catholic, like like very Christian, and he always talked to me like, "Hey man, like God's got a reason for everything." If I ever had a problem, he'd be like, "Hey man, don't worry about it. Like this is God's plan." And I was like, "Hey man, Ty, like I get it. Like we don't believe the same mumbo jumbo, but like I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate that you're looking out for me." And then when I found out that he passed, I was like, "Well, we gotta do something for him. Have like a rally or something. Like like get like." bunch of big group of people have like a because like the way it works in the car community one person makes a facebook thing and hundreds of people know so i wanted to have like a huge like basically memorial you know when like a sheriff gets killed or a, a cop dies yeah and they 100%. have like a huge thing down the street i wanted to have like that kind of thing for him and then it was really it was really shitty to find out that i couldn't even make it to that and then getting back in town being like hey man like where's Ty buried at? And then my friend was like, Oh, he got cremated. I was like, I can't even fucking say goodbye to the dude. You know, like I could go, I could show up to his house where his wife lives. Uh, it's, it would, it's just kind of weird, but it, it, just not even having like 
the the time to like in my own private because I don't like to be very emotional in front of people, and it's just it's a weird thing that I do. I don't like I'll cry in front of fucking Sam, maybe not in front of Noah, but like I'm not a very emotional person. Yeah, so I feel that when I found I was cremated, I didn't want to walk into his wife's house and be like, "Hey Ty, hey man," like so. Every now and again, when I think about it, maybe it's at work. Maybe it's driving to the freeway today to the Virginia Beach. I'm like, man, like today was a good time. Like, like I remember driving down this road with Ty and looking over, and he would just give me that slow head nod, and I'd be like, "What's up, bro?" Uh, it's times like that when I kind of talk to myself in my head, like, "Yo, God, if you up there, uh, or Ty, you know, whoever, I'm listening. I hope you're doing good." And it's uh, it's kind of shitty. So. I mean, I feel that. We're going to go on to a, a more more positive, <laughs> <laughs> a very sad conversation here. Oh, man. It gets it gets yeah. pretty serious, man. Yeah, that's, that's life sometimes, you know. Yeah. I mean, and everyone goes through it. it. Military members go through it. Civilian people go through it. You know, it, it is a part of getting old, and that's why for me, why I wanted to do this, right? Yeah. Everybody that I talk to has a, even like the people I've talked to now, right? So I've talked to a lot of like nuclear military people. Uh, I will be expanding as I like go to different places, obviously. But right now I, I've kept pretty much to a lot of nuclear people. There's been some smatterings of other people and like anyone that listens to the podcast is like seeing that, but everybody has their own story. And the reason that I even wanted to start this was because I wanted those stories out, right? We're all people. Yeah. Every Everybody has their own, like, things that – their reasons for joining, their reasons for, you know, doing the things that they've done. But in their time in the military, so many things happened that, like, if you're joining at, like, 18, right, you haven't seen these things before. And it's things that you'll you'll come into, like – a lot faster, I feel like, than happens sometimes when you're just, you know, out and about. You go to college, you work a nine to five, whatever. The the trauma bond, essentially, that builds between people in the military, where you're up every day and dealing with, like, being up at four hard days of, like, even the physical aspect, the mental aspect of it all, and then... You're with the same group of people for 80, 90, 100 hours a week sometimes. And especially when you're on like deployments and there's 40 fucking people that live yeah. in like one space just living on top of each other for like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months at a time. You, you grow to learn about these people in ways that you would never learn about even some of your friends that you grew up with, right? Yeah. It's... To me, I wanted to catalog that. I want something that, like, when I'm 65 fucking years old, I want to be able to come back to things like this and be like, look, man, like, this is this is this man's story. And I wanted people to have their voice so that they could be like, hey, you know, like, this is the stuff that I was going through here. And then who knows, you know, you guys turn, like, 55, 65 years old. You're like, hey, I remember that guy. I remember that time. I remember all these things that I did when I was in the military and, you know, I think of it fondly now, but maybe back then it wasn't so fond. So it's funny you say that. I was I was talking to to Howie Baby, and uh, I was I was saying, dude, whenever we hit like sixty, sixty five, we're gonna have to 
get our old, you know, Navy ball caps on <laughs> and uh, go to Hardee's at like six o'clock in the morning, and get our, <laughs> get our the 60 cent coffee or whatever, or dollar coffee and just, you know, reminisce about the old time. But yeah, being in the Navy, you, um, you, you lose people that you have hung out with for so long uh, because they, they have to go somewhere else with the Navy or because they're getting out. But I was telling them, I said that I want to make sure or to like make an honest effort with certain people to uh, keep in touch with them because of the wisdom they have provided for me or just like being really good to hang around. Like uh, with you and Ariel, y'all took me and Carl in to y'all's house all the time and, you know, fed us all the time. And I was like, I need to make sure I keep this man in my life because of how you know nice you are and how like welcome you are. And then like, you know, Aaron, how much wisdom that man can provide for me. This man has yeah. told me so much stuff. I'm like, so I have not thought about this. I'm like, that's another person I need to keep in my life. Or like Robles, uh, this past weekend, I went out uh, to church with him and then went fishing with him. I was like, that's another person I need to make an honest effort to make sure I uh, keep in touch with, you know, after I get out of the neighbor, after he moves but that's the yeah you know, that's a really sad part about being in the navy is that you just you lose people in cycles. It sucks. I yeah, think, I think the a really sad part, like not even just being in the navy. Like imagine being in combat with somebody, and then getting out of the military and going back to where the fuck you came from. I know a lot of people don't do that. I like where I'm from, so I'm probably gonna go back to there. That area, not maybe my hometown, but that generic area is a. Uh, it it sucks. It sucks seeing people that you've known so well, like even on the boat, like when Desbians left, like Desbians was my boy. Mm. I loved that dude, you know? And then Aaron on top of that, like me, Des and Aaron, like I loved those dudes. And then seeing them go, I was like, Hey, like Aaron, thankfully stayed in the area. And I got to yeah. see Desbians before, like he left with uh, Hobbs, but it, it really sucks seeing people go and being like, I'll never see you again. But you guarantee if they're ever like, hey, I'm in your area, I'm going to drop whatever I'm doing and go yeah. have a beer with them or whatever. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and so with that, right, there's there's cycles, right? There's turnover on ships. There's turnovers on shore duties. There's, you know, people getting out, as we talked about. There's, like, so many people that I wish that I had had more conversations with before they left, Um and like, even like, since some people have left, I have been able to like see them still. And I try to keep pretty regular conversation with, and it's just different, right? When you're not seeing each other every single day, you know, going like, man, fuck this job. We should all just get the fuck up out of here. Right. And let's go hang out somewhere. And it, it's, it's wild to me. And so there was a friend of mine that I went through the entire pipeline with, and he is now going to be maybe at max like three hours away from me he's going to college in alabama and where i'm going next i'm going to be somewhere in that area where we can hang out and uh we've like reinitiated a lot of conversation yeah. a lot more right he's had he's had a lot of things go on um they got him basically where he's now in the officer programs with the military and so i have literally been spending the last like several weeks just looking forward to like being able to finally see that guy again. Cause I mean, we spent every waking moment together for two straight years. I mean, and you talk about 
the amount of like time that you can bond with somebody and in like two years, how much you can grow together with like any like specific person that you've become like very good friends with. Right. So with you, it was Aaron and Desh and with you, it's been like me and Carl and you know, those people like that. When you spend so much time with somebody that like you wake up, you guys are hanging out, you go to work, you're hanging out at work. You leave work, you're hanging out outside of work, right? And you get to know these people on like such a personal level. It is really, really hard to be like, oh, hey, now I have to leave. And I hope that we keep conversation up, right? Yeah. And and I just want to be able to like get as many conversations with like all my friends. And like the this project that I've been doing has literally been so focused on people that I've worked with because I just want something to like go back to at the end of it and be like, man, like this was this person's story. This is like the things that we all did together. And it, it seems like, especially like the first 20, 30 episodes of this is it seems like a broken record where it's like, yeah, we went to Singapore, we went to Thailand, we went to Dubai and we did all these things. And, and it's, it seems like I'm replaying the same stories over and over again. But with each individual person, it's a little bit different yeah. because I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that time that we were in that place together or like you went and did these with these people. And like you get that full scope of that very specific set of stories, just even from like that one nine months of time where I mean, for me, it was so different than like a lot of other people because some people they didn't have like a, a wife or a child or a husband or like you know, things like that. And they were just, you know, they didn't even have like, maybe some people didn't have like girlfriends and things or boyfriends. Um, and so they had like a completely different experience to what I had, because for me on that deployment, it was a lot of, I'm watching my child grow up in pictures and it was hard, you know, like it was really hard to watch my son grow up in pictures and be able to just talk to my wife through like emails. But some people, they had other like issues on top of all of that. Right. Some people had sick family members at home, you know, like there was so many things going on for every other person. It wasn't just like, Oh yeah, I had to wake up and I had to be productive today. And so it it is like one of those things that you end up, I want to get everyone's side of all of the same stories that I've lived yeah. because it's a big deal to me to, to be able to like, come back to something like this where you get to talk to your friends and really like remember how that's going to be because I don't want to be 40, 50 years old and be like, man, I haven't talked to these people in like 20 fucking years. Like that shit's going to be hard. Uh, you know, I don't want that to happen. And the unfortunate side of it is in the military, it almost always happens with a lot of like your, your like mid tier friends that like you see them at work every day. You talk to them at work every day. But the day you leave, you don't exist in their world anymore, and it just drops off. Yeah. And then you have that three or four or five people that you met in the military that you will never stop talking to because you spent so much time with them before work, at work, outside of work. And I want a huge network of those people. And if I can't get that huge network of people, at the very least, I want to fall back to something like this yeah. where I can still go back and go like, hey – like, I remember all those good times. I now remember I need to go and talk to this person and be like, hey, man, where are you at? Because, you know, I may never see the West Coast again, right? I have no no want to be on the West Coast. But I best believe, 
if I am in the West Coast, I will absolutely find a way to contact every single person I know on the West Coast and spend a bunch of time with everybody because you, I don't want to, to not see all of these people again. Yeah, for me, uh, knowing somebody that's going to be a lifelong friend is when, when they do something inconvenient, which, uh, <laughs> I, which brings me to a story that I just thought about when you're talking about Carl. So, uh, me and Osorio, another person that I want to make sure I keep in, in my life after the Navy because of his infinite wisdom, uh, and uh, another one of our friends, David, he's a CS on the ship. We all uh, took a old trip down to uh, Outer Banks, North Carolina. And uh, Osorio had just bought a, a brand new uh, Nissan Pro 4X. <laughs> like oh, a yeah. $60,000 yeah, truck. truck. Very, very nice. Oh, no. And uh, so we, he was like, dude, we ought to go down there. We can drive around on the beach. I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. And we start going down there and... Um, we get on the beach, we're having a good time, throw on the football, and then we're like, all right, you know, it's time to go, and um, all right, let's see what this puppy can do. Start going pretty fast. I was like, yeah, this thing's pretty capable. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's, let's take this little route right here, and uh, we're going towards, like, the the houses. There, All that, all where the, uh, the houses are, are uh, all on sand. It's no, like, paved roads. So it's, it is kind of like a little bit of off-roading, but we got into some serious parts and we got to this, what we thought it was a little, little puddle, but that puddle was a damn pond we found out. <laughs> Goodness gracious. So, uh, I'm like, dude, he was like, you think I can go through that? Chris asked me that. And I was like, dude, yeah, you, you could probably do it. Just, you know, lock the rear diff, throw it four low. You got it. Shindy. <laughs> do it. And uh, he goes in, and I'm like, just go, just go. And he, like, goes in, and the water comes up over the hood onto the windshield. I'm like, oof. That's a little more water. <laughs> That's why I never take advice from you while I'm driving. <laughs> and uh, it just, like, we get, like, halfway into it, and then it just stops. The truck just stops. I'm like, uh-oh. And he, like, puts it in reverse, and uh, it doesn't do anything. And I'm like... He, he's, he's like still like having some faith. And I just put my hand on him like, Chris, bro, <laughs> she's gone. <laughs> it's, it's over. So you personally totaled Chris's $60,000 Nissan truck. I mean, I had, I was a little voice that was saying, you know, egging him on. You were yeah. the devil on his shoulder is <laughs> yeah. literally what happened. But, yeah. And that's so, why Carl will never listen to you. Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's like, the water starts coming into the cab, and I'm like, dude, you got to get somebody. So he runs. I was like, I'm pretty sure I saw a bunch of Jeep guys. You know, Jeep guys tend to have a bunch of, like, you know. Winches, cables, yeah, stuff like that. Jazz. And he goes running after him, and me and David are, like, just sitting in there like, dude, holy fuck, we done messed up. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and uh, so he, he comes back. And this, uh, this guy in this Raptor comes back and, uh, at this point the water has come up over towards like the speakers and all the electronics. So you're just hearing ah, 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 like <laughs> some dial up shit. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, dude, there goes all the electronics. Oof. And, uh, the, the, the Raptor, like he's really nice guy. This 
this guy was, you know, trying to help us get out and he was, you know, trying everything he had didn't work out. And eventually the tow truck that, uh, that just literally runs up and down the beach because so many people get on there and get so much courage that their car can make it on the beach. So luckily there was a tow truck out there and, uh, he ended up, uh, pulling us out of the, uh, this, this puddle, but really was a pond looking back onto it. <laughs> uh, all the water came out. We were looking at the damage. I'm like, dude, she gone. She gone, son. You're going to have to total that bad boy out. <laughs> uh, but uh, at that time, I'm like, I, I call up Carl. I was like, Carl, we fucked up. He's like, what's wrong? I was like, so we're out here in Outer Banks right now. And uh, we fucking flooded Chris's truck. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, what do you mean? And I like, explained the whole thing to him. And uh, I was like, it's like three hours away. Can you please come get us? Again, going back on the very inconvenient thing. Very inconvenient. This is like at, you know, like seven, eight o'clock at night. And uh, Carl gets in his little minivan that he has at the time. <laughs> oh, he had the minivan? <laughs> yeah, he had the minivan. <laughs> Swag and wagon, yeah, baby. because the truck is oh, getting dude. worked on. And this man drove three hours to come get our happy asses after we just flooded Chris's truck. And if that ain't a friend, I don't know what is. That's probably but, one night me and Sam was like, where the fuck is Carl at? Yeah, he, he got he there. We were at the bar all drinking, you know, pounding back our sorrows away. Like, a lot of sadness. <laughs> yep. And uh, we got Carl some some food and we're, and we're just telling him you know, how thankful we were for him coming out all that way and driving three hours there and three hours back. But boy, oh boy, that was that was an interesting day. I did not well, know. I did not know that Carl came to get y'all. Yeah, he did. I remember, I remember. that minivan. That was here. So three that, hours from here all the way down damn. to Outer Banks. Gosh. Yeah, dude. I remember hearing the story and just we were all just joking about it. We we're like, how in the hell did this man's <laughs> buy a sixty thousand dollar truck, make maybe four payments on it, and then maybe. basically blow it up, <laughs> and then. It came out that you were basically like, yeah, you won't do it. Come on, <laughs> yeah, <bro."> see, that's <laughs> yeah. the official story is like, pussy, you won't. I was like, just just go for it, man. Yeah, and so he ends up going into it and, uh, yeah, flooded that one out. Yeah. Now, you said there was a raptor that was there that, like, helped yeah, do the, something? Yeah, the guy, the guy there, super nice. Is, it was, is that why Chris bought a raptor? That's what I'm it, wondering. I think it was. No, I think it was because, so... It was a guy and his wife, and I'm guessing maybe like the the wife's sister or maybe a, a good friend. But one of them, it was their birthday, and they're they're celebrating one of their birthdays today or that that day, and um, they came along and helped us out, and uh, they gave one of the, their T-shirts to David because he had just gotten soaked from you know treading through the little puddle luckily my six foot tall ass was able to it was barely coming up to my shorts or to my actually it was my underwear i took off my pants at that time it was barely coming out of my underwear so i got off scot-free oh my God. everybody else had lost something like that you know gotten all wet or chris lost a, a truck yeah, <laughs> and i was over here just nice. like <laughs> just along for the ride but yeah this uh this guy with his raptor I forget your name, but thank you so much. You really hey, did help you us out. You were talking about people in the same scenario going through shitty stuff. And I know you've talked about this in the previous podcast. I don't know if you went, 
I can't remember if we went into a lot of detail, but July 28th, 2018. Oh, start up from hell, dude. Yeah. I yeah, I'm all about so talking about you it. You were well into division. You were there for years. I was like new. I was a new guy. I don't, were you, you were there, right? No. When? No. He, he showed up I was at in deployment December. or something. Yeah. I well, got there in December. Well, real quick. I Let's don't know what it. I don't know what your story is. No, but I understand, man. Let's talk I got about racked it. out. I was like fresh. I was maybe two months into division, you know, qualifying live recorder, qualifying like the basic ass watch. And I was on duty, not a whole lot of responsibility, got off my watch, went to bed. I got racked out at like five thirty in the morning. Yeah. And uh they're like Aaron Aaron was like, Hey, you're gonna troubleshoot the ship's generator. And I said, What am I doing? He said, I don't know. Just touch here and here, and we're going to do stuff. I said, okay. So they did it. And I was like, oh, zero, open, you know, because I understood that much. And that was that was literally the day that I found out because we, we troubleshot the whole AVR system, basically, essentially. It was me yeah. and Aaron to like 9.30, maybe 10 in the afternoon or the morning not the afternoon but it was we were troubleshooting for hours and i was mm-hmm. like dude i'm supposed to be home right now what the hell is going on and mr hooge and all his infinite wisdom yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's like fuck it replace everything and i looked at this man like that is not gonna happen bro we're leaving for com 2x tomorrow like, yeah tomorrow yeah you it know was- <laughs> And I was like, I was on duty all yesterday. I did my part. It's time for me to go home. And he's like, replace it all. And that was literally the day that I was like, our upper chain of command, our like per- principal assistants have no fucking clue what we go through. They have no idea what we're doing. No, they're just getting the, so yeah. they were getting pressed by the people above them who are getting pressed by the people above them. Right. So uh, what people don't understand, all right, to, place some context in this. Uh, there is an underway that has to be done prior to going on deployment to certify that a large ship and its entire crew is able and available and of the proper understanding to execute this deployment and do it right. The like weekend before that started, everything that we know and love basically broke Went wrong. and it was in complete shambles. So it has been designated and talked about not so much at length on this podcast, but it has been known as the startup from hell. The Joy. day that will live in infamy. Yeah. For every person that has ever been a part of this, right? So July 28th, 2018, um, a lot of people have talked about this. We're going to talk about it at a good, a good length. When all of that stuff failed, my, so I was not in the same duty sections as you were in. I was in the opposite, like coming on. I was that in day. one and three. Yeah. And so I was coming on that day and they were like, Hey, uh, all this stuff's broke. And they said, no one can leave until we fix it. Now, granted, I had already packed everything into my bunk bed, essentially, um, in full understanding that I was going to miss the birth of my son because the birth of my son was literally a few days later. This was that. Yes. Okay. And so I was already just completely out of it. I was in like a very manic state. I had lost a lot of respect for a lot of people who I had thought basically were making sure that I could not see the birth of my first and currently only son. 
But I showed up and they were like, hey, we got to fix all this stuff. You guys are going to help these guys. And then we've got to get all this stuff figured out so that we can go underway. And people that were like, you know, supposed to be going home to grab the last bit of their clothing. Me. Um, some of those people had not packed anything really and were literally going to bring an entire sea bag, basically a giant suitcase of things to go on this eight week underway that was going to be very intensive. And literally I shit you not when everything broke, these people stayed awake for what? 40. Yeah. Plus hours. A long time. Yeah. There was like no sleep for like several days. Cause I remember this was like a Saturday and a Sunday yep. going into the Monday we were supposed to leave. And we had to rip things apart, put things back together. We had to remove some stuff that we can't talk about. And then, um, like literally the work control process. So as we were talking about before in this too, cause it does kind of tie in when you're on like not a maintenance availability and the only people that own the things are the people who are living on the ship at this point, you go, Hey, we got to replace this. And they go, well, if we don't go underway tomorrow, the government is going to be very upset. Yeah. So yes, 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 yes. And yes. Now go do it. It was like, I've never seen things go so fast and yet be so ridiculous at the same time. We had to remove like a giant set of fuses that had messed up that were literally like a portion of the safety things that we had to have. Um, so I remember in your plant specifically, because I was not a part of it at the time, um, that was going on and it had turned into a huge hubaloo where it was like, hey, uh, do we have these fuses even available? Now, granted, these are like thousands of dollars parts, and we're like ripping the ship apart to try and find very specific things. People are like doing checks on things that they've never done checks on. If we didn't have people like Aaron and like ridiculously smart people, it this could not have been done. But we had some like real rock stars and they fixed, we fixed everything, but yeah. it was at like two in the morning. Yeah, I that remember. we finally gotten everything fixed. Like, I was so new. I had no idea what was going on. I just know I got off watch. I went to sleep and I get woken up in the middle of, in the middle of the night. You know, like, I had like maybe back watch. I just got off watch, sleep for an hour. Craylock, the great and mighty. Yes, hey man, <laughs> the almighty. Hey, you got to get up. I was like, Craig's like, what the fuck do I got to get up for? He's like, hey, man, they need you in the plant. You're vital. <laughs> and I was like, I'm no, vital? Not. Okay. And I run down there. I was like, Aaron. And Aaron's like, hey, man, this is what's going on. We're going to test all this stuff. I was like, cool. So we test all of it. And he's like, that's weird. It works exactly how it's supposed to work. This isn't the problem. And then we told our superior. And the superior was like, just replace everything. Replace it all. Yeah. And, and Aaron looked at him and said, <laughs> We don't have any of this. Yeah, we don't have $50,000 cards. Yeah, we, we don't have $7,000 fees. Any of this at all. We're not going to replace this today. We're going to have to delay this. And the guy was like, absolutely fucking not. We're not delaying this. You're going to replace it. And then that was the night that Switch Game went feral. And I was not allowed to leave after duty for, I don't know, what, like fucking. It was like one or two in the morning. Yeah, I left at like 
and, and I left at like two in the morning to go to my car because I lived on a ship at the time. So like I didn't have as hard as a time as other people, but I still had stuff in my car that I kept there because I lived in my car essentially at the time. But I slept on board. Yeah, because that's how it was in Washington. Like if you if if you were an E four, like you used to be AH, get taken, get BH taken away. I just lived in my car in the parking lot. You know, I wouldn't sleep there, but I lived there. And uh, I had a bunch of stuff I had to get. And that was the quote from uh, the great people who recorded everything back in the day. What it was when Switchgear was going feral and everybody was losing their goddamn minds. At least because I knew you were on two Switch at the time, I think. But yeah. in one Switch, it was literally like 50 people sitting in a room. And we're all just kicking back, chilling. And we're like, why the fuck are we here? You know, like these people can handle it. Let us go get our lives together and come back, you know, and, and me specifically, like I could have just gone and got my shit and come back, but they're like, absolutely not. You cannot leave. However, my plan was not to go get my shit and come back. My plan was because the special weekend deal that time was I'd meet y'all up at the, um, I forget what it, what it was called. Basically the ship was getting loaded with millions of tons of ammunition and that's where I was going to meet you guys. I was going to land at base and bust to that spot. And I was freaking out because I was like 20 years old and I just had a new girlfriend that I was crazy about. And I was like, I got to go home and fucking screw my girlfriend. You know, I got to, I got to disrespect my in. girlfriend's father in his own house, you know, and I was losing my mind over it. And, uh, <laughs> oh God, I just, that was when I, that was when it like sucker punched me in the face. Like, you're in the fucking navy. You are here. Property of the United Everybody's States. Everybody's here. It's like that. And it, this is my most favorite meme for the military. It's uh, it's the it's the flex seal guy, right? And it's a tank, and it's got a big old hole in it, and the water's pouring out, and it says the military, and then like the water is labeled like depression, alcoholism, whatever problem is currently. Uh, trending in the military and then he slaps flex tape on it and it says you're a family (laughs) (laughs) so that was the night i realized like oh this sucks you're a family yeah get the fuck over it yeah and there were so many people who had to deal with that too and i remember there was so many people who literally were leaving the ship at two o'clock in the morning had to be back at like six or seven in the morning. Except Wayne Scott. <laughs> yeah. Scooter. Old Scooter Magooter oh, leaving dude. at like five o'clock to oh. get back at like seven. Get fucked. Who also lived with his parents in like Tacoma, like two hours away oh or some God. shit. It was nuts, dude. Yeah. There was people leaving at like two o'clock in the morning that had to be back by like six or seven. And they were like, I still have to wash my clothes. I'm like, yeah. bro, you didn't plan to get completely Anything. screwed over. Yeah. And nobody realized. It's a military back end, dude. They'll yeah, get dude. you on the military Plan back end. Plan for the worst, expect the best. Yeah. It's literally, whew. Yeah, that, that gets you on the back end thing. Military That's where it really started for people. <laughs> the non-existent I love that. fairyland. <laughs> the military back end, dude. Hey, so this week's going to suck, but we'll let you know, uh, even though you're going to be here for 100 hours in the next seven days. Uh, but, but you get a four-day in like three months. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to get you on the back end. There's been so many times where they're like, we'll get you on the military back end. I've, I've lost that many fingers. I don't have that many I can count <laughs> dude, on all now. the time. <laughs> hey, I'm supposed to have it out. I'd take it with yeah, a grain of salt. well, your co-part's sick, so come in. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. You know how we were going to give you that weekend off? Well, 
COVID. Hey, you, you weren't here for there. duty. You're going to get yelled at for a while. Yeah, exactly. Dude, it is. it has been absolutely wild. Uh, and all honestly, like, so even with that and everything else that's happened, I... I would never recommend this life to people because it's obviously a lot harder than, you know, it's yeah. made out to believe. Is the pay good? Sure. Is the pay worth it? Mm, not, not so really. sure. No. All right. Um, but you do, you do get to grow into a lot of things. Yeah. You grow up very fast. You grow the fuck up really fucking fast. You're going to learn fucking quick. Yeah. Some people grow up a little worse than others. And, you know, a lot of people get their first taste of alcohol in the military and it, it turns them the wrong way. But, I mean... There's a lot of things that I feel like, yeah. Yeah, and then you join the military and then you drink a lot. (laughs) Well, you know, everybody's got their vice. For me, it's nicotine. For some people, it's alcohol. For some people, they turn to hard drugs and they get caught and get kicked out. And we've lost a lot of people to that, too. So it's been, I mean, it's been wild. It's been a, a hell of a ride. But honestly, boys, closing thoughts. Sucks. However, uh, if you can deal with it, it's worth it. Hell yeah. I feel that. Good opportunities. Yeah. I'm looking forward to more. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you get the you get the VA loan, that's pretty dope. You get the Bitching. the college degree and credits and money to go if you want it. I mean, some people don't, but they they get it anyways. Looking forward to more, but uh I know that after you know this reenlistment I I did that'll that'll probably be it for me. I mean, you and I are both Not going reenlistment boys, recruiter boys. So, yeah. yep. So I, I get to go yeah. and tell people about the the glories of the Navy. So, and you'll get to do it too. You're gonna have like, a good time. I feel with like it. I'm kind of already hooya. Like it's not bad. It's pretty bad, but it's not terrible. But think about your future. You get paid for it, and you get to sometimes see other countries. Yeah, depending on your job. It comes with like a very long, very fast speech that I can't quite memorize enough to just blah, 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 blah. I'll pull it down for you. If you're not a nuke, you get to see a lot more. Yeah, 100%. But that's uh, going to do it for us, boys. This shit is getting old. <laughs>